0: right dr brian hello how you doing bro
1: i'm doing good how you doing
0: good good um thank you for coming out so early in the morning you know uh, no problem yeah yeah it's a sunday morning and uh, normally this is a day to chill or whatever but what no not for me not for you (laughs) What do Not you what do you got me. going on? What's the, What's the big? What's your big? Uh, what's the big news for today? For
1: news you? for today in a couple hours. Actually, I'll be competing in the IBJJF Orange County Open Tournament and uh, and uh, OC Fairgrounds. And so, um, I thought I was going to go on yesterday. Uh, we had planned uh, uh, to do this, um, and found out I was shifted to Sunday. And so I called you. Yeah. And yeah. So forth. And part of me was thinking, like, man, you know, sh- do I want to? do a podcast and 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 be thinking about my tournament but you know what i decided when we talked (coughs) over at uh at headquarters i said you know what i'd my match stays at about three Mm o'clock i said i'd rather do something uh distract me rather than just be sitting around all day and 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 thinking about the tournament so i thought i think this was perfect timing actually
0: Cool, cool, yeah. yeah, and um, you know, just to point out, IBJJF—that's the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Correct. Yeah, and they have a um tournament, like, like this Orange County one. I think it's the first one they're having, they're throwing right, but it's big. Like it's—I heard it's like sold out. Right? Is that correct? Uh,
1: well, not the first one. Um, I'm not sure about the first one, but they've definitely had several Orange County tournaments. I believe IBJJF. Typically, it's in Los Angeles. Sometimes as far as Santa Cruz and San Diego. Be honest with you, I couldn't tell you if they've ever had an ibjjf one in Orange County. If this is the first, oh no, one. no, they've had them in
0: Orange County. I know that they've had the Pan Am's, okay. But this, I think it was called the Orange County, um, right? What's the name of this tournament? Isn't it called the Orange it's, County?
1: It's the Orange County Open, I believe. yeah. The, this is
0: the first Orange County Open, got it. This tournament it. itself, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah, 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 I don't think there was, there may have been one other one, but. Yeah, no, they used to have all the big tournaments here.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, uh, before the pandemic, they had the Pan Ams at um, UC Irvine, and um, and of course in the Long Beach Pyramid, they have the Worlds, and then of course the Vegas Master Worlds. But uh, but yeah, definitely uh, didn't realize this is the first OC Open, so this is good stuff to know. I didn't realize. Yeah,
0: that. I could double check that. I mean, I will double check. I've been out of the uh, competition uh, circuit for a while, but yeah, I think um, I think it is. Um yeah. and, and speaking of competition, you know um, Neiman Gracie, did you of course, say, of yeah. course,
1: he's fighting this weekend, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he he won. He won. Yeah, he won. Um, armbar. Armbar. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool because uh, Professor Philip and I always joke with him. You know, like you know, because he's been prepping all you know yeah. this whole time to go against him. We've been cracking jokes, but um, I won't even go into the jokes because they're inappropriate. But <laughs> I mean, but we joke to him to his face, not not yeah, like yeah. behind his back. But uh, uh he's I was I knew he would win, or he had the, the the ability to win. My concern was that he Neiman, you know, he fights in Bellator, the Bellator yeah, MMA, yeah. and MMA jujitsu for MMA is different than jujitsu for uh, jujitsu tournaments. And he went against Benson Henderson, and Benson Henderson, even though he has an MMA background, he's been in the competition circuit, mm-hmm. so he he's fighting for position mm-hmm. to the next jiu-jitsu move or jujitsu yep. position as opposed to a position for striking or whatever. So mm-hmm. I was like. Yeah, Neiman has, I don't know if he's done a tournament in a while, you know, so let's see how this goes, and and from what I understand, because the, I didn't get a chance to watch it live, it was in, I think, Abu Dhabi.
1: Yes, it was.
0: Yeah, and um, I just saw some highlights, but they left all the, the highlights, they left all the good parts out.
1: Good parts out, of course.
0: Yeah, because they want you to buy it or whatever. Exactly. And, but um, I guess, from what I hear, he dominated every round, you know, and it was just a matter of time, and the problem was there were, they had rounds, mm-hmm. and, um, I think they're three-minute rounds. Mm-hmm. And so they would just stop you three minutes in. You got to yep. start over. And, you know, could you imagine that in a tournament? Someone keeps stopping you, and you got to come back and, I think, start standing back up again.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, so it, it was kind of a pressure to hurry up and try to finish. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he got him in the third. You know, but om- at the end of every round, he was one just right there about to finish.
1: And so. Amazing. Yeah, because I see him a lot in the Saturday competition class. And, you know, I know Professor Philippe for uh, – Sparring, he'll choose some people, and I have not gone with him yet. Oh, Neiman! He, oh, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. He's a beast, and uh, he's just very fluid, and he's big too, and strong, and he's just so fluid. And uh, but uh, um,
0: yeah, yeah, and uh, or yeah. So no, yeah, you're right. And Neiman, the thing with Neiman to kind of give you his background, he's uh, you know he was trained out with henzos for years, mm-hmm. and he's been training with John Danaher. So his um, Neiman's leg lock game is out of control. Like, I don't know if you've ever gotten. A, oh, you haven't rolled with him. But if you're getting a leg entanglement with him.
1: Oh, I've seen him. I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it in, <laughs> in, in, in training. And uh, yeah. he's just so fluid and he gets to it and he's patient. Um, but he'll, he'll eventually get to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, there's no way out. Yeah, they, like, there's they, no way out. when He gets you there. Yeah. yeah, that's cool, man. Well, yeah, thank you. I,
0: I hope that um I hope that you uh, win. I hope that I mean I know you win, dude. You got the skills, bro. You've already won some tournaments, right? Like you have went in there and kicked butt. And I have. Luckily, I've had. Um, don't say luckily, bro. Skillfully, skillfully, skillfully. skillfully
1: okay, okay. But uh, yeah, that's one of my goals. Is I've always wanted to win at an IBGGF tournament at my belt level, and uh, mm-hmm. fortunately, I have mm-hmm. starting at blue. And so nice. Um, humbly speaking, I've had a. Uh, I moved up middleweight. I used to always be light. <laughs> And I realize I like eating you know. I like working out hard in the gym. And so uh, starting this year, 2023, I moved up to middleweight and I'm really enjoying it. And so I just feel better. I feel I feel just more natural in me. You know?
0: So, wait, lightweight, that's 160 to 168, is it?
1: It is up to 168. Okay, yeah, and up to 168. Yeah, middleweight goes up to 181. 181. And so I usually allot um, five pounds for my ghee and in, in food and in liquid And uh, um, I'm actually underweight for middle. I've been trying to gain five pounds for the past year. And for some reason, I haven't. I think because I did a lot of keto diet to stay in the lightweight. Yeah. I think my internal system just changed. And (laughs) no matter how much rice I eat, (laughs) no matter how much I eat, I just can't get to 175 that I wanted to. So I hover around 170, 172. Well, you got to think, too, man, you're burning some calories, you know, training. So, uh, yeah, you're probably
0: burning through whatever (laughs) you're eating. I remember when I used to, this is this is a long time ago, but when I was competing a lot, I was eating. I would track my calories, and I was eating about six thousand calories a day, and I was still losing weight. I could not gain, but I was training twice a day, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking we're probably burning what a thousand calories per session, and because it's equivalent to like hit training, yeah, you're burning still exactly, uh, you know, throughout the day, and then you train again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- 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 I'm sure that has a lot to do with it, the amount of caloric burn in each of those sessions and, and, and for sure. Um, so so I'll, I got to figure out, you know, how to gain that weight. And uh, You might need
0: a supplement. You might – I mean, I would rec- – if you want to gain weight, from my body reacts very <laughs> well with weight gain mm-hmm. to creatine. Okay. Creatine will make you put on some weight, dude.
1: I've been doing some uh, protein powder and uh, – I started implementing. a uh, mixing a little bit of white rice with my brown rice. I kind of don't want to do too much white rice. I grew up with that, and uh, oh, dude, that's want, like that's like I crack, know, <laughs> I know. So I do a little bit of brown rice and uh, a lot of protein, but but I just can't break that hump.
0: Yeah, well, creatine. What it'll do is you might you'll look bigger, but what it is is your body will just retain more water, which will make you heavier. But the benefit of creatine is that your um your uh, uh, what do you call it um lactic acid threshold okay it increases so you go longer without burning out so a lot of the mma guys take it the ones who can take it well it depends on your body you don't know until you try it some people's bodies like say wands he could take creatine and nothing happened he could still cut weight right Mm -hmm. but other people like me it it makes me gain yeah so um that's why one time i almost went up i accidentally almost went up to middle you know look how small i am dude like right now i'm 144 got it i almost went up to what 170
1: wow quickly
0: Wow. Yeah. So uh, creatine will do that, and the the good side to it is not only will you be bigger, physically, weight wise, is um, your your um it almost feels like your VO2 max increases, but it's actually you just don't really your lactic acid mm-hmm. threshold increases. Wow. So yeah.
1: That's good. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'll try that. This is my last tournament of the year, and uh, I, I'm I'm gonna try some things out, and uh, I know there's. a I'll Glad there's another option than white rice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so well, crazy. white rice is addictive, dude. Well, it is. I grew up all it, and I realized, uh, at least for me, at my life stage, I mean, white rice is great. I just realized, man, I gotta. What does do it do to you? Up.
0: Is it, well, it at this life stage? At this stage in your life? Well,
1: it's uh, high carbs, so your your sugar levels and so forth. And, you know, I'm, I'm Filipino, and so we we enjoy the uh, white rice, and I've just had people who are, you know, having challenges with their health. Uh, because of the amount of white rice intake there's nothing wrong with white rice and it's great for me i just want to make sure i uh watch how much i indulge in
0: yeah and also um uh if you ever get a chance to just on the rice tip what i started eating sometimes like when i go out or i get mm-hmm. sushi black
1: rice oh black rice
0: have you ever had that
1: no i've had brown rice sushi which is rare when you go out to eat sushi but uh, i've not heard of black rice
0: yeah black rice there's a there's a restaurant um not a restaurant a grocery chain that has a restaurant inside of, two different restaurants inside mm-hmm. of it but one of them's a sushi restaurant it's called air one but it's pronounced e i mean sorry it's spelled e r e w h o n it's in la culver city nice. um Calabasas. they everything's organic in the whole grocery oh, store wow. it's like whole foods but a tier above it, Got it. and the uh like the fish is wild uh, certified wild everything's organic but black rice from my understand is even more nutrient dense than um brown mm-hmm. and it's black like you look at it go oh my god like it's it's black purplish and yeah you can actually buy i think at trader joe's you can actually buy a bag of
1: black rice I oh, look at that yeah low carb i'm assuming oh yeah low high like, fiber <laughs> high fiber yeah okay
0: yeah cuz you know i'm half filipino and i grew up on i grew up with dude there was years of my life where the main course at dinner was like fried chicken and white rice. Yep. You know, then sometimes for dessert my mom would write uh white rice with butter and sugar. You ever yeah. Have yeah. <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, all that. What about suman? Have you ever had suman? It's the um sweet rice, coconut milk wrapped in banana leaves. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, suman, yeah.
0: Sumen, oh yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean I I mean, yeah, I indulge. <laughs> Actually post tournament I treat myself. Right to some Filipino food that I usually don't normally engage in, so um, I always have a uh, a treat right after.
0: In your lifespan, like you know, growing up eating Filipino food, was there a period in your time in your adult life or in your life where you were just very overweight, or you always been fit?
1: Um, I wouldn't say overweight, but I was too big for my frame. Right, there was a time where I was in. I went through high school days. I grew up in the era. Uh, in the 90s where just be big, just be big as huge as possible. Hulk Hogan days, <laughs> just get huge. That's it. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you have cardio. At least that's how I looked at no, it. No, no. I was a sa- I grew up in the same era. Yeah, I, I get you it. You know, I, I was really big in high school and really big in, in college because I would lift heavy. I was eating six meals a day, so potatoes, protein mm-hmm. powder. And uh, at least for my height, I was probably too big for my frame. Um, yeah. so so i was bulk and that's what i was known for and then probably when i hit graduate school i said you know what um, i want to get more lean and fit then again it was probably because of starvation because you don't eat this much in graduate school and you just don't have a budget and so i just started losing weight and i started liking it and uh, and i wanted to it was easier to fit in clothes and stuff and so i like it now i like to be leaner and fit and on, on the mats you know i like to be faster and cooler Quicker and so I think yeah. this is a body type that I think is more fit for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. You notice too when you're leaner and fitter, like people compliment. They notice it. They go, "Hey, hey!" But it's very uncommon in America nowadays for someone to be fit like you to walk around like it. Most people, and especially where you go, like, mm-hmm. have you ever been to Central California, like Bakersfield, or?
2: <coughs> I have.
0: Yeah, it, like, vision. I'm. This is going off of visual, but most people seem to be. Not in shape over there, okay. and so if you walk around, you like you stand out like a sore thumb. Like I used to date a girl who was a um, fitness competitor, bikini division, and we would go there to Bakersfield to visit family, and she'd walk in the grocery. People were staring at her, like, like where okay, did like you I come from? Like, okay, like they've like never like even seen someone like alien. that. Yeah, yeah, because you know.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just so foreign to them.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but there's something interesting you say when you talked about graduate school. A lot of people at our gym. Don't know you're a doctor, and they kind of like well, Ryan's a doctor. Can you explain your education background okay. and your yeah, training? Yeah. yeah, so that people know.
1: Well, you know what I'm, what Professor Philippe. You know my my my, my moniker is at uh, HQ, right? Maybe. Okay. Wait, wait, no, Eddie Bravo. Eddie Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. before I even started jujitsu, uh, my daughter uh, would train there since she was um, probably. Um, six years old yeah and so um that's what before i was training so i was there and professor philippe when he first saw me he says you look like eddie bravo and to this day that's what everyone knows me by there are some people in the gym who don't even know my real name and um and they just call me eddie and so when they when, when we got time to roll you know i have to clarify and especially uh new students because people say i do look like eddie bravo and uh-huh. so forth and um, even uh, Professor Aubrey, as a joke, he'll introduce me to n- new members coming in. Said this is Eddie Bravo, and they'll look at me, and he will correct them. They'll say, "Really," and they'll never correct them. <laughs> and then I, s- then I have to clarify later. They really, truly believe mm-hmm. I'm Eddie Bravo, and, and especially when before we <laughs> roll, I'm a purple belt, and I clarify to people I am not, not Eddie, Eddie Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a devoted Eddie Bravo. But to this day, like I said, and so it's funny. So I'm known as Eddie E B. Even I sign myself, uh, sign my initials sometimes on a thread. That EB, you know, Mm -hmm. for jujitsu people. But Eddie Bravo is 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 my name. But yeah, uh, (laughs) but yeah. So people don't don't know. And um, I think last time um, when you posted a picture of us, and people were like, "Hey, I didn't had no idea." But education. um, I got a bachelor's um, from psychology um, from Cal State Fullerton. Then I got a master's Mm -hmm. in uh, psychology from Pepperdine University. And then I went to the University of Oklahoma, and I was originally in a Ph.D. program for a field called industrial organizational psychology, which has nothing to do with therapy. These are your business consultants. They look at study behavior in the workplace. Yeah. And then I get my uh, Ph.D. Uh, from the University of Oklahoma um, in accounting psychology as well. And so, so, yeah, that's— uh, what, what made you go into psychology? Well, prior to going to Oklahoma, that's kind of the work I was doing. I was used to work with severely in emotionally abused um, adolescents, mm-hmm. and that was t- during my uh, master's program. And I got used to it, and um, I enjoyed it, and then I fell up upon mm-hmm. the industrial organizational field and didn't know too much about it, but it kind of sounded good. You know, you're a consultant, uh, um, and you work with companies. And so I went into that, and I just realized I got a lot of great skills from there. I just didn't realize that it wasn't a great fit for me. And I've had people telling me, even prior to going to that industrial organizational program, that, hey, you'd be a good clinical psychologist. And finally, it just happened. It wasn't a straight path. And luckily, at the University of Oklahoma, they had a clinical program. And I just transferred to it. And um, like I believe that there's sometimes no straight path. And it, it took me a while to get there. And I'm really happy this is what i believe i should be doing i believe it's in line with my skills my my abilities my my values and so i'm really happy to where i ended up and so it's crazy how things end up like this sometimes
0: nice that's good that you found your purpose like i changed my major you know quite a few times Me too. yeah and just kind of hopped around and even oh, though yeah. i have you know two degrees myself uh, bachelor's and master's oh wow i i don't Um, Well, I mean, I have a master's in business, I guess. Okay. But that doesn't teach you to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. It just teaches you to go maybe work in a corporate office somewhere in a cubicle and hate your life. But um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting that you found your way and it and it worked out well. So, but back to you working. So you've when you go through like a PhD program, is there research involved with that? Like, do you do you have to like? Because I know, like, say with my master's, I had to do research. You know, yeah. But PhD has to be the next level of research, right? I'm assuming. I, I've never went for a PhD.
1: Yeah, historically speaking, PhD, that's what we're known for. It's research-based. And University of Oklahoma is what we call an R1 school. So it's uh, uh, heavy on research. And so, yes, and so we have to, uh, for the doctoral level, we call it a, a dissertation. It is your research project where you design a study, um, uh, collect data, and then write it up. And you have to defend it of a board typically of uh, what we call a major professor um, and um, other faculty and you defend it and that is the goal uh, that is the last um, hoop so to speak uh, to getting your um, actual phd so yeah there's quite a few um, quite a bit of research involved in the phd level
0: yeah actually actually my research for my for my master's thesis mm-hmm. was uh google and Google was oh, new at wow. the time. And this is before there was Google Ads or anything. It was just that stripped-down website that just mm-hmm. said Google. Do you remember mm-hmm. when it was just basic? Yeah, they yeah. weren't making money yet. And I broke down why um, they'll be successful. I was obviously wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. I didn't – I had no idea, but it worked. It passed. Yeah. But I didn't think of the um, – because I, I thought they were going to go for ads, which they do. Well, maybe I was kind of right. They're going to go for ads, which they do. You always get Google Ads. But I had no – it wasn't even in my world, my hemisphere of thinking that um, user activity metadata would be tracked. And mm. they're using that. That's oh, wow. the money, you know? Yeah, yeah. I so had no idea. The but
1: metadata, meta-analysis and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because remember, Google wasn't making money and mm-hmm. Facebook wasn't making money. They were just platforms that people were using. Mm-hmm. And people were like, "How oh, they were going public. And I remember all these financial analysts would, would say, how they're gonna make money? I mean, people using these free—you're giving away something for free. How are you gonna make money? Mm-hmm. And they had all the old, the whole time they had it in their pocket. Like, mm-hmm. dude, it's that that co- consumer information that we mm-hmm. could sell, or we could sell it to the government, we could sell it yeah. to private companies, or whatever else. So that's pretty cool. So over the years now, I'm pretty sure that you've worked with a lot of clients, and from different walks of life. I have, yeah. From, I'm—is it safe to assume from um, children to adults?
1: Children to adults. uh, Usually the youngest uh, client I think I've ever worked with was maybe five years old and uh, worked with up to um, the spectrum. The range is um, um, seniors, right? Um, People in their 70s and for various reasons, whether it be they're helping um, a family member, a child, grandchild, or they themselves are going through something in their life. So definitely a range of age and presenting issues and levels of acuity. Uh, So I was very uh, blessed to have worked with such a wide range.
0: When you work with these clients, I'm pretty sure you have like a set of beliefs or like you know some type of structure that you work with, right? What are some of the um, like the beliefs or what that you bring when you work with these different clients?
1: Well, when you ask the the beliefs, it's more of sort of a framework in how to work with uh, different clients. And one thing that's important for me uh, as I've have grown and developed as a clinician, is to understand that literally every individual is different. They have a unique story, and they just have different elements about them, whether it be their age, their gender, uh, their culture, their values, their um, um, spirituality, their skills, abilities. And so that's one thing that I, one of the beliefs I need to do that I work on is looking them from a more comprehensive and holistic level. And so, th- so and what, what are their motivations? You know, what, what, what are the things that they want to work on in their goals? Um, so I look at that on mm-hmm. a very holistic view. But one thing that, that I find a lot with, I would say probably 90% of my clients, no matter if they're younger or adult or what have you, is when I work with them and get a history, I would say 90% of the clients, their current struggles can be traced back to some earlier point in their life. And typically that's children childhood and adolescence, adolescence meaning teen years. And invariably, it almost always you can trace something back then uh, to that earlier period of time, is, and it's because that is a pretty vulnerable time for for people. Um, um, in that early years, those, those, those early time years, I believe there's a lot of imprinting that can take place, and for various reasons. So, um, yes, every once in a while you get a, a client who maybe had some... Um, so to speak, you know, pathway, healthy pathway in life, and maybe something in their adulthood happens, they get into an accident, they get a medical condition, maybe they have experienced some trauma. But, um, but most of the time, whether it be their belief systems, how they view the world, how they view themselves, sometimes you can really trace back to that ideology or that origin point to some event or events and typically mm-hmm. um, something traumatic or distressing in their childhood and adolescent years.
0: Okay so what you're saying is the simplified is that <laughs> is that it's adults are basically operating like well now you said it right but I I'm just trying to conceptualize this so I could wrap my head around it so as adults we're we're interacting in the world but mm-hmm. a lot of our interactions are based on events or um, the programming that occurred when we were kids it
1: can be it can, can be. be in terms of especially um, because if you think about it, right, we, we grew up in a family for till we're maybe 18 years of age, at least living with family members. And there's a lot of um, role modeling that takes place. I, I look at childhood and adolescence is like kind of the movie that we live in. right? And, and the habits, the, 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 um, um, the ways we deal with things, the way we view the world is very impressionable in those time of years. It's like that blank slate, um, especially for kids. And
0: so... Um- we're affected by our by um, most people are affected by their inner child and things that um, occurred to us um, when we're kids, good or bad, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, how much of it? How much of an impact does that have on on um, a person? Like, so let's say, if it does have an impact, mm-hmm. is it a strong impact, or, you know, like, our personalities are they locked in in childhood, or how does that work?
1: It varies. One thing I want to definitely, um, working with individuals and clients, is there's a whole spectrum and range. There's a lot of variables to take into, and you mentioned personality, there's upbringing, experiences. um, Sometimes someone can go through some major trauma and live a very functional life, and someone deal with trauma and go down a different path. And so that's one thing to remember is, is, is working with people and individuals is there's so many variables, and that's what we do. I look at my role as sort of as an investigator. What people give me is a, a collage of information, and I try to put it together and try to understand some theme going on there. And so that's one thing I, I, I want to mention. And so, But can it have an impact? Back to your question, it absolutely can have a significant impact, most especially if those issues aren't resolved. Right, and you mentioned the word inner child. And um, so, just to clarify, inner child is a belief system in in the work that we do that there's a significant event, typically uh, a traumatic or distressing event, or events in one's life, typically in in childhood, that leaves a pretty significant um, mark, fracture uh, in someone, or an impairment. And um, inner child is like this arrest development or where this there's a part of a person that stops developing in some arena and this inner child is this inner child within them that stays stuck, right? When they don't work through and resolve some of those issues. And so that's what we mean by inner child. The person grows and develops into an adult and so forth. But what we call is that it's like this um, unintegrated self, Right. Let's yes. say, let's say, for example, um, uh, you have a twenty-year-old uh, client that comes in, and maybe at eight years old, uh, this client um, suffered a traumatic event, maybe an accident of some sort, and they never got to really resolve on some level. There's an eight-year-old child um, within them that could be fearful, maybe angry, maybe confused. And that's what we mean by that inner child. That inner child, what we say is, is driving our bus, right? And imagine yeah. a child driving a bus <laughs> it could be emotional, impulsive, um, um, needs unmet, and so and and fearfulness. And so that's what we mean by inner child. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that term up um, because it's really important to yeah. recognize.
0: I've s- actually I've seen that in people. I've seen mm-hmm. the um, because I've you know I've done um, inner child work myself. Okay, and um as a client not as a <laughs> as a psychologist yeah. as yourself but uh i could see um i recognize it in other people there's like an, an arrested development that occurs mm-hmm. where um where like i like say um i use i'll use a like say my most recent relationship that i um got out of um or ended or whatever you want to call it yeah. <laughs> um i recognize in that person pretty early on that though they're You know, approaching forty years of age, there in certain aspects of their life, there was, uh, or aspects of their personality, they were like a child. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: You know, and their reasoning was very childlike. Mm -hmm. It's almost like um, they didn't know how to be an adult in that Mm -hmm. pocket, Mm -hmm. you know, spectrum of their life. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that very interesting. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, man. And I even have talks with them about it. And it got to the point where they recognized it. And um, I mean, maybe eventually they'll do work on it. They recognize that like, man, this is I do, you know, behave like a teenager, like Mm -hmm. stuck at 15 years old, even though I'm there. And that connects to one other thing, too, is that as I left high school, I'm pretty sure you had to have experienced a lot of people have experienced this where you've left high school and you went to college and say you got married and had kids like you did Mm -hmm. and so forth. I did the same route. Um, and so you caught up with someone from high school and you spoke to them and they behave as if they were still in high school. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. they're still kind of immature and, and in that zone. It was like, what? Like, it's, it's very strange, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. have you, you've experienced that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you said a couple uh, great things, but, um, um, and when you said about that, um, that um, personality attribute and so forth, and and what we f- I, when I work in substance abuse arena, right, and when I work with a lot of families, let's say, you know, someone's loved one, um, daughter, sons, are uh, seeking treatment, and the the parents or the loved ones are confused of of why do they act a certain way emotionally, mm-hmm. and what I do have to tell them is you have to remember, right, is that on some level they are functioning emotionally to some degree or or developmentally cognitively at some earlier period in life and it's not uncommon especially if they experience some trauma that you have to work with them on some degree on their that developmental age that they were stuck at like a like a 12 year old emotions and you have to understand uh, that person on that level for example a 12 year old can uh, be um, need immediate gratification sometimes, there's less patience, um, um, sometimes they're impulsive in the decision making, or maybe they are, um, they get triggered easily emotionally, yeah. and this person could be 25 years old, and we're looking, the parents are looking from them at a 25-year-old and what they should be, or what their perspective of how they should be responding. And so you got to remember, this 12-year-old, your 12-year-old son, for instance, right, uh, was going through some traumatic event, and so sometimes to reintegrate them, we have to meet them at that level in those areas where they're struggling with and so they can reintegrate and learn those skills so a lot of what we do is skill development skill development skills are things that we can work on dribbling a basketball is a skill assuming that the more you work on it the better you're going to get at it right? yeah but a lot of what we do are skills and and um, and, and for them recognizing their own emotions and, and coping is, is is really critical so But yeah, absolutely, you see that. and It's funny, (laughs) because as you were talking um, um, about some of those things that you see, this is kind of a side note. Um, I grew up in Ohio, by the way, and in Ohio, uh, we go to school together, starting from kindergarten to eighth grade, and so I went to this Catholic school. And and when I tell people now, they laugh. A few years ago, we had our eighth grade reunion, right? No one, you know, you're you're (laughs) in high school, you're just college, but I go back to my eighth grade reunion and when I went back there, it's like none of us have changed, so to speak. It doesn't matter whether you're you're 80 years old or something. There's still that core person <laughs> that you see. The jokes were the same, you know. The the idiosyncrasies, the the quirks that we all. So there's something. There's a difference between that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is yeah, that there's yeah. so, like I, I, you know, my, like their
0: personality.
1: Yeah, my my best friends, right, from childhood, mm-hmm. from Ohio. When we get together, it is the same jokes, the same little stuff that we do. So there's a difference between that that yes. we all can probably relate to, and of course that part where, man, you still act, you still talk like that, or it's like this this man, have you integrated or growth? I know what you're talking about. So there is a difference between that yeah, that yeah. that we I do believe there's a core part of us, whether it be our personality. So you talk about personality. Personality is an as a consistent trait. Typically, as personality, we say sometimes our personality is about 10 to 12 years of age. There's these personality characteristics that are pretty, pretty ingrained. Not yeah. to say that we can't evolve and, and our personality can change at some point. But, um, but usually, yeah, about that's why the childhood and adolescent years are critical, is because around that age is when our personalities um, are solidified. Our personality characteristic could be something like our level of extroversion and introversion. Right, mm-hmm. Where we get our energy? Do I get from the ex- external extroversion, or do we get from internal introversion? Typically, that's pretty stable um, at uh, at an earlier time in years. May it change a little bit in our careers and work, yeah, but our natural tendencies can be pretty set at that uh, early point in life. And so, so I thought you brought up some good words with personality and that. But I did want to differentiate because yeah, I don't want yeah. people thinking like <laughs> you, you're talking to your friends f- that you've known all year and like, man, you haven't grown up. Yeah. If that's the case, you still know. Still telling dick jokes, man? <laughs> well, uh, honestly, you know, my best friend, my brother, my cousin, we all grew up together, and we have, like, a thread, and some of the jokes, it's like, it, they, they haven't evolved. Yeah. So I don't want anyone to think out there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Well, you know, with guys, we kind of, the, the humor among guys kind of stays in the same, it, um, um, let's say genre. Yeah. It stays in the same genre. It's still.
1: We just had a get-together last night, and we were talking about in the genre <laughs> and the stuff. You know, it's still the same, but no, that's not an inner, that maybe there's some inner child there, but
0: yeah. Do you know what? To be honest, I mean, just to be, not to be honest, but I mean, I I didn't mean to say to be honest, but to to share with you is that even in the jujitsu community, I've done jujitsu most of my life at this point, right? The majority of my life. There's always gay jokes. (laughs) There's always, and not gay jokes making fun of gay. Yeah. But gay jokes about someone being gay or being gay with some Hey, when I had your back, you know, did you feel the connection we felt? Like yeah, people are connection,
1: <laughs> looking at me in the eyes. <laughs> yeah, that is never
0: and people from you know, young adults to all the way to all ages, we all joke about that. I don't know, maybe it's just uh it's I guess it's just a genre of humor that kind of stays in there. But but the people who are joking, you have everything from police teachers the freaking you know doing? every and, and, day and, yeah. and
1: jokes and laughters that's a way we connect right yeah. and, and through humor but uh, um, but on a, but on a serious note yes absolutely um, um, that, that that stuff can reveal and and what you were saying was really important your friend or not sorry your, um, the person that you were um, in a relationship with you said she recognized it and you know that's something that we'll definitely talk about acknowledgement mm-hmm. that it's there and not just inner child stuff and anything is critically important for facilitating change, right? We have to acknowledge that something is not right. And sometimes we do that on our own through self-introspection. Sometimes there are aha moments. Or sometimes someone has to tell you that. your buddy says, hey, man, do you realize hey, you kind of have a problem with drinking? Or, hey, do you realize that you kind of are angry at stuff? And so, um, but... Or sometimes even a life event. A life event. you know, Like I'm
0: you're in jail, like... How did I end up here? And then you, you, uh, you, then it all goes back to what you say. (laughs) Then you look
1: inwards. You look inwards. And, and, and kind of how I work with families, actually, you mentioned that strategizing. Some of the best people that we've gotten help for, for years and years or decades worth of struggle with, be substance abuse or uh, non diagnosis of a condition, is where they have to hit, you know, proverbially, you know, we say rock bottom, right? What, Rock bottom is where you can't dig anymore, or you're just you're. Up, I call it the point of desperation, um, where um, you're left with just few options, and that's where some of the best insights and and unfortunately, it's sometimes they're jailed, they're homeless, they're divorced, or they lose custody of their kids, mm-hmm. and it's those moments where they make a decision where man, something's not right.
0: The layman's term for that is rock bottom.
1: Yes, rock bottom. Rock that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I was just saying that that's the proverbial very popular in the AA arena. But I like to use a point of desperation. Point of desperation. Mm-hmm. Cuz when, de- yeah. when we're desperate. Yeah. Cuz when we're desperate, when we're desperate, right? What do we do? Fight, flight or freeze. And that's what I, I actually strategize with families um, how to some way when someone's resisting help, how do you put them, leverage them into a point of desperation. I know that's intense, but that's one of the strat- key strategies that I've seen be most effective for those people who are resistant, don't think they need help, As you have to put them in some level of desperation.
0: There's a correlation that I've seen from the different relationships I've had with uh, romantic, friendship, family, you know, just all of the whole spectrum. And I don't know if this is just a correlation. I don't know if it's the uh, root cause of this behavior, but I've noticed that people that have, have a lot of... Um, they say trauma childhood mm-hmm. trauma as adults they lie a lot and i'm not saying lie like um they're dishonest mm-hmm. and dishonest not like um like trying to get you to buy a car that's a piece of crap yeah. like a but they just lie about anything like stuff that you don't even need to lie about and i don't it, i see a correlation i've seen personally a correlation but i don't know if that's the actual cause but is is that are those linked? Trauma, person, and being a dishonest person. Not that I'm a saint. Not that I'm a saint. Every I think everyone has lied at some point, mm-hmm. but there, there seems to be like, like I know people that just lie. Like, where, where, how, how was your weekend? Oh, dude, I went out mm-hmm. to you know Lake Tahoe, caught a giant bass, and blah. Like the whole story's fake,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know. And they just lie for no reason. And and this is is are those two connected?
1: It could be. It so, could so, be. so lying is a a form of a coping skill, a coping mechanism or defense mechanism. I mm. believe that humanly we're not naturally liars. I think lying is just one form of many type of coping skills. So, coping skill is.
0: I think uh, we're naturally liars. I don't mean d- I, you know better. I agree with you, but I've always believed that we're naturally liars. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, I know. I'm throwing you off. The reason why I started interrupt the reason why is i've seen little infants lie you know like like and wh- like where would you learn like they'll blame the other one
1: yes and and that in some form is a coping mechanism but and how they so figure that mm, out they either role model or they just learn it they just innately learn it that it's as a defense mechanism so if I, if i can clarify uh, i believe right is is any system or any living organism what's its goal to achieve Survival? Live? Thrive? Yeah, yes, yes. Th- absolutely, but also to achieve balance, or mm. call it host homeostasis or equilibrium. I, I, I believe that. And what takes us out of homeostasis or equilibrium is some form of stress, right? And oh stress yeah. isn't bad, you know? It's, uh, you know, Stress, moderate s- uh, uh, smile to moderate levels of stress is actually good. Me, stressing a little bit about what I have to do in a couple hours, that's a good thing, yeah, right? It's and a motivator. So it's a motivator. And so, but there's But what brings us back to balance is sometimes these coping mechanisms. And sometimes there's healthy coping mechanisms, right? Whether it be meditation, mindfulness techniques, therapy, exercise, jujitsu, so forth. And there's sometimes there's unhealthy coping mechanisms, like a substance, Mm -hmm. avoidance, anger, and lying to bring back that balance. And so, yeah, I do believe um, lying is a form of that. And and why do we lie? You know, understand the motivations is probably to avoid some type of discomfort or pain right is is if someone's um um, how's your day going right if they're gonna lie means hey they're not gonna talk to me they don't i don't want to tell them about my um, current trauma or a divorce i'm going through or my financial struggles actually if i can uh, mention this um during my graduate school years there was a research study that talked about lying so most studies out there are freshman undergraduates right and so what they did is um missing some details here and there, but essentially they would have people go into a room, a student, and they're hooked up to monitor their uh, pulse levels, their sweat, their eye movements, and so forth. And so on the screen there, they would have two items, and their job was to estimate its value, price value. And so they would press a button underneath here. And um, what they noticed over time is when they, when they um, exaggerated the value of it they'd get more points i think there was a point system and so what they found was that more people were lying <laughs> about the value of that product let's say it's a bar of soap you know there's a two it's $3 or is it $15 and then ding 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 <clears throat> as if they're being reinforced the right answer but what they found in that study that those people who lied physiologically they had some changes, their pulse rate would go up and they would sweat more versus mm. those people who were truthful. And so like a polygraph. Yeah, it's well some indicator that lying isn't a natural thing. And to mm. me, honest what I find is if someone's really good at lying, if you have no fluctuations in your pulse rate and sweating and you can say it, to me that's that's concerning, is because you've <laughs> developed a, a level of comfort in coping mechanism with that and, and whether it be yeah. compulsive lying. And so in terms of back to what you're saying, if it, are we natural tendency? Uh, yeah, to some degree, I believe that there's a natural tendency to avoid pain and to survive. Yeah. And lying is one way we do it.
0: That makes more sense. Right. Yeah, I'm uh. glad. Th- yeah, do you know what? That makes more sense because yeah. I just figure like, man, are we just born sinners like <laughs> that? But it makes sense because the kid learned if I re, uh, deflect exactly the blame on the someone else, I might not get a spanking. I might not get the don't you do that, you know, whatever it is. Yeah.
1: I'm going through that with my 9-year-old son right now. So I have have a – well, by the way, his name is Mini Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) My wife, who trains, is Eddie Brava. Eddie (laughs) Brava. And then my daughter, who's uh, – We'll call her
0: Eduarda. Eduarda Eduarda. Brava. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: She's Eddie (laughs) Brava. My son's (laughs) Mini Bravo. And I'm going through that stage of lying. And and lying is not a bad thing, so to speak, right? We don't want to – Sometimes our natural thing is don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. But we have to understand that that's a process for them. And for for kids, saying, like, hey, th- what is this truth there? What do you think is the right thing to say? Why do you feel like you needed not to tell the truth? And to help them work through it. Because the first thing we say is stop lying, stop lying, stop lying. And sometimes we don't. they don't learn why they're doing it and what's the correct action to take and yeah. what are some different options. And so he's going through that from simple things mm-hmm. like, did you eat your food to anything like that? Or And it's just his natural tendency to avoid something yeah. and to avoid discomfort and, and that and so I I just had an incident with him the other day and and so I sit down with him and try to process that through him is is the benefits of being truthful and honest up front versus lying and what does he get from that and so I it's it's really important for um, parents to to recognize that that is a, that on many levels that is a natural progression for
0: for especially kids is it a is it a healthy trajectory Trajectory to let's say, um, how old is your son? Nine, you said. Yep. Okay. So as he as won't use him, but say as a nine year old in general progresses to fifteen, I'm pretty sure they're gonna lie. At fifteen. I lied like a, I lied so much when I was fifteen, dude. I would lie to, I would lie sometimes just for the challenge, like lie mm-hmm. to a girl, you know, or yeah, I'm, I'm you know, whatever. Just mostly, it was lying to girls. I don't know why in particular and as you get older say he's 15 then 25 35 45 mm-hmm. should the should he be starting to become more honest as he gets older should, is that a, is that a sign of like intellectual wisdom and growth as we age does
1: that make sense ideally i, uh, yeah. I mean
0: ideally is that the ideal trajectory that we that should occur for a Absolute,
1: person uh, absolutely i mean that's just my belief uh, Yeah, it be of course. humanistically developmentally spiritually and you mentioned 15 year old i have a 15 year old daughter and so deciphering you know what's <laughs> truth and not for her as well you know <laughs> sit her
0: down put <laughs> her hook up to that machine that they did the study with i might
1: have to i might have to So why are you perspiring just feel the pulse <laughs> if like they didn't meet the parents but but yeah it's hard it, it's and um but yeah my belief is um is absolutely i i believe Honesty speaks a lot about things like authenticity, right, yeah. and so forth. I mean, if you look at most modalities, whether it be 12-step recovery, um, uh, step four is you know being honest, right? You're on identifying your character defects, mm-hmm. um, um, your resentments. People have hurt you, people you've hurt. And so in mostly any, whether any religion is that honesty, that authentic self is critically important. And so, yes, I do believe as we age, to realize the importance of honesty in your true self that's where it is is really who's my true authentic self versus my false self uh, uh which um um which is spoken to um uh, Deepak Chopra who uh, talks about that true self versus that false self that false self is the one that kind of subscribes to people's expectations of what I'm supposed to be and the yeah. authentic and true self and so so, yes, I believe honesty. I have found that in my life. It's better to be honest up front. Take 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 the hits dealing with that. But my life has been much easier and clients much easier when they're just honest up front.
0: Yeah. And see, this this is my thing with honesty. And um, this is what I believe. But I'm, I'm an open book. You're mm-hmm. the expert. So I'm just sharing my probably weird, I don't know, uh, point of view on honesty is that I've I'm, when I look, I've been doing a lot of self reflection, mm-hmm. looking inward, but mm-hmm. also looking outward and looking at you know red flags, quote unquote uh, red flags, uh-huh. and any type of relationship and so forth. And I've come to realize that when I'm at my age, which we'll kind of keep it classified right now, even though I spilled it out last ep- last <laughs> podcast on accident because someone asked me, but like you know, I'm in my forties. Okay, when someone lies in their forties. To me, it's more shocking or more irritating mm-hmm. than someone who. when I know a twenty-year-old lies, like, "Yeah, man, he's funny, dude." Like, it's like you know better. Like, I I know this kind of goes against the whole inner child and someone growth mm-hmm. and yeah. all that other stuff, but it seems to hit harder or be more unacceptable when someone's older and they lie. You, does that you mm-hmm. follow my line of thinking? Yeah. Is that it? Is is it because? We have expectations that you should have matured and become wiser over the years. Is that what that is? It
1: could be, yeah. It, or we look to people, generally speaking, as, yeah, you're right, getting wiser, right? Getting riser and being in touch with their values and so forth. And, and kids look up to that. And so they want to emulate that, their role models. And so uh, I, I believe that. I believe that as we age, the hope is we are progressing. We're being our better versions of ourselves. And it's very hard to be your best version if you're not being authentic and honest. And I believe that is the most critical element for change. Is is when I work with anybody, is you have to. I tell them you have to be honest with yourself and others. Because if you're not, right, you become multi-layered, you become complex, and of course, you don't know what's truth anymore. And so, honesty is the very first thing that I tell people. I mean, I actually have an acronym for uh, people to get healthier and better um, in their life and recovery or what have you. And honesty is the very most important element and the most consistent element, or robust across all that differentiates p- people or clients who get better, who progress, and those who do not.
0: Yeah, can you can you <coughs> you just reminded me of something. Can you tell as a therapist, like say you have someone you've been seeing them six months, mm-hmm. a client, or regularly six mm-hmm. months. You know, sometimes people disappear, mm-hmm. right? Can you start telling, like, hey, this person's not being there's something missing here. Do you ever g- get that? Because I always wonder. Because I've known people who've gone to therapy. And they have lied to the therapist. And can as a therapist, can you pick up on that? Do you eventually figure it out? Go, you don't confront them, I don't think, but maybe like you pick up. Okay, yeah, they're. Well, you can't confront them, them, by the way. Oh, you yeah, can't. That,
1: that, well, that's the whole reason why they're in therapy. If oh. for me, by the way, in therapy, um, if if they love you too much, they like you too much. For me, I'm not doing something right. Right. If I leave competition class on Saturday and say, "Oh my God, that was so fun," something's not right. <laughs> if I'm smashing everybody in the gym, something's not right. Right. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should be leaving going. Why do I do this? Unless you're Neiman, Gracie, yeah. or or no, or, hey, there,
0: hey, no, you gotta remember, there's animals in there. The no gi class on Wednesday. Remember, we okay, have UFC, okay. Bellator, okay, collegiate okay. wrestlers. I'm not there on that day. Oh but, man. Okay. Shark Tank. Okay.
1: A <laughs> so for me though, I read me at my belt in my years. If I'm smashing everyone in the gym, um, something's not right to yeah. me. Right? Yeah, you're like I. <laughs> yeah, you're like I'm the big I'm the big fish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so, um, take me back. Where, where were we? Oh
0: yeah, we we're talking about um, as a therapist. Do you recognize oh. when someone's? Um, Let's call it
1: concealment or deception. Can you pick up on that as a therapist? I think as a therapist, I've have developed a heightened sensitivity to that. And it's not just one indicator, right? There's sometimes there's obvious indicators, right? Uh, whether it be eye contact and so forth. And sometimes it's a presenting energy. Um, but sometimes it's inconsistencies in their stories, right, mm-hmm. that you look at. But uh, sometimes not as there's people who it's hard, right? If And I always tell people, hey, I can only help you as much as you tell me. Right. The end of the day, because if you, this is a true story, and and one of my um, um, therapy groups in the um, um, substance abuse arena um, residential facility I worked at, um, there was like six people in the group. It was a 9 a.m. group, and we had range of people from 60 years old to as low as 18 years old. there's five of them, males and females, and they're sitting in a semi-circle waiting for me. And the first thing they asked me, right, nine in the morning, not even my brain's not even turned on yet, Dr. Brian. How do we know if we're being honest or not? I'm oh like, man, they just unloaded me on a Monday with a big question like that. And so I just said, okay, I put my stuff down, and I said, let me think about it a little bit. I said, I told them, right, and just to let you know the range, we had someone in law enforcement who was a grandparent to a mom to some um, um, early college, high school, two kids, and so forth. And so that was just the range. And they were all asking that question, and they were like in a deep level of thought, like they were asking it beforehand. We're honest with themselves, just being honest. How do we know if we're being honest? Oh, got right. It. And I said, and so I sat down. I said, you know what? One thing I know this is kind of a common question, but the only person who will really truly know if you're being honest or not is yourself. But what I told them is this I said, you can come into this group, right? You can come into this group and say whatever you want to avoid being confronted or having an uncomfortable topic come into place. The reality is. Come 9.50, I'm on to my next group. And you've missed an opportunity. It's just you and your what I call disease, whatever that disease may be, to look in the mirror at, at night. That's it. I go on to my next group. And so you've lost the opportunity. You've deprived yourself of the opportunity to get better. So what I do is I, I, what I'm telling them is I'm putting the onus responsibility on them, right? Because a lot of people sometimes will come into therapy and it's like, yeah, I don't feel I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk to you know him about it. I don't want to mention that. I don't want to deal with that. I want to go down that, right? And so, and I tell them the responsibility is on you. You're the one losing out on an opportunity to get better. Wow. And so, and that's kind of how I work as a coach, right? Is over the years, is my model has changed. Uh, I got, I'll get people all the time said, hey, hey, Dr. Brian. I think I, I I think I can manage my um, my uh, my marijuana right because I was doing wax and dabs for people who don't know that it's a highly concentrated form of THC and um, in the form of a waxy substance. Uh, I could think I could smoke my marijuana, or, hey, Doctor Brown? I think I could I think I could drink my beer because oh, vodka was my issue, or I don't think I need to take my medication uh, when I leave treatment because I have enough skills now. I say, hey. Your old lifestyle is waiting for you right outside that door, right? That's it. You're more than welcome to engage and get back on that. My job is to just to coach you and give you an option, a preview of what another life can look like, right? And but you're more than welcome to engage in that lifestyle. But I can't promise you that you're gonna have people like your family gonna support that lifestyle. But you're more than welcome to engage in that same life. So what I'm doing them is I'm giving them options and choices. And and to add to that. And that lifestyle
0: might not end well. It might not <laughs> end well. And they
1: know that, the level of clients we deal with. And so sometimes what I say, they have to love gas in their tank. They're not ready. you know. They're not ready to get better. They're not ready to get done. They're not ready to acknowledge whatever th- they're dealing with and traumas. And so what it really does is like, because when you tell someone, I believe the human condition, when you tell them something they cannot do, right? they resist. If I tell someone, hey, you can not never drink again, you can never smoke again, the resistance comes up, right? What I'm going to do is, hey, you're more than welcome. I want that vodka, that marijuana, that fentanyl. I want that on your tool belt, right? Because it's always going to be an option for you. It really is. What I want to do is I want to give you other options on that tool belt. I want that fentanyl, that alcohol to be way back there. So it's harder to reach, but I want you to have options. That's it. That's all we can do. But when you tell someone what they can't do, I mean, look what happened. It's It's no judgment on the 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 COVID and the pandemic. But look what happened when we told people to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Get the vaccine, don't get a vaccine. Social distance, don't. Man, look at look what happened. I think the pandemic, although very challenging and, you know, very you know, I lost a f- couple of family members to it, is that there was a lot of silver linings, I believe in that. There's a lot of learning lessons, social dynamics and understanding. And that's one of them is is When you tell the human condition what they can and cannot do, we resist. And so we give it now we have an option. Well, yeah, you can go get a vaccine or not. You can wear your mask or not, and so forth. And so now we have options. And that's the same model that I use with a lot of people. And honesty is one of those things. So back to the honesty part. You can be honest with me or not, but I care about you and I wanna help you. But if you're not if you're not gonna be honest with me, there's only so much I can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force honesty out of you, but I'm gonna tell you that it's critically important. I'm here to help you. Yeah. You know, this is a safe place. I'm here to coach you to get better. And honesty is the most critical element in the impetus for change.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, the interesting thing about honesty, too, is I think that even though your clients asked you that, I think all of them know. It's just there's a certain level of denial that mm-hmm. floats Constantly. in there because it's this has happened to me. And I've see, witnessed this happen to other people where that they lied to themselves about something that maybe they played more of a role in mm-hmm. that wasn't good. And as maybe time passed, like years, it kind of is like, man. And that's when you get those apologies, like, hey, you know, hey hey Brian, it's me, Kenny. You remember? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they start confessing, and yeah. they know it's mm-hmm. just there's just a wall up and they can't own it at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, because that that type of question, you know, what's honesty? My I thought you were gonna say something like, Well, if it actually happened and you tell it how it happened, that's honesty. But it's, yeah, you're right, it is beyond that. Yeah. It is beyond that.
1: And, and, and to take it further, what I tell people mm-hmm. a lot is sometimes they'll be honest about certain things. And so I'll, I don't know if you can see here, so I have like a weight scale, like I'm, I'm in a group of people, and honesty, they all relate to being dishonest. And, and what they correlate is, well, if I'm honest with a lot of things, therefore I'm gonna get better. And so like I have a weight scale, I tell them, I said, okay, let's say for example, all these things you're being honest about. You're in treatment here for 45 days. And all these things you want to be honest about, about money you stole, the drugs you used, the people you've cheated on, um, the people you lied to. But let's say there's there's like 100 things here. And let's say there's one to two things here. Maybe it's a trauma, abuse. Maybe you harm someone. Maybe you abuse someone or something of that nature. I asked them, what's the thing that's going to continue to take you out? Take you out meaning where you find yourself struggling, where you... Um, um, maybe relapse on a substance or you find yourself in a depressive episode. I go, what is the thing that's going to keep taking you out? This thing that you're being honest about a hundred things or this one to two things that are not being honest about. And they always invariably will know this. I said, that's what's critically important. You have to be honest about those things. Cause if you don't acknowledge and start honest, I, I call, I call cause you harbor secrets, right? Yeah. And I believe secrets, um, um, when you harbor secrets, uh, especially things like that of, of traumas or things in your life, it turns into resentments, right? Resentments are unresolved anger and almost always it points back at yourself no matter what you've been through. And I call secrets uh, the termites of our inner being or the asset of our souls It will literally eat away at you. And it's... it's
0: yeah, w- I, was g- I was crossing my mind. You jumped into my next question. Yeah. When it comes to that, like, What is it about lies that eats at us? Like, you know, people like there's people that have turned themselves in. I committed a murder Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, and I just got to get they know they're going to go to prison. They might get the death penalty. They'll just do it. They'll Mm -hmm. just spill it like it eats them or they're they're dying, like, you know, or they're sick and they'll go deathbed confessions. They got to get it off their chest. What is that?
1: Well, like I told you earlier about that study, it's it's I don't believe it is our natural human Inclination is to lie is because that study alone there was physiological responses there's there's heart rate there's sweating and so to repress something we think just because we don't think about something or we've forgotten about it it's no longer having an impact like secrets like hey I locked that away you know what someone says I was abused as a five year old but you know what I'm fifty five years old now I'm happy I'm 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 successful in my career I don't think about that anymore. And they think that it's just locked away just because you don't think about something doesn't mean it's gone. What I call it is like it's the file in your computer that's running in the background. It's that virus that you're not aware of, but it's affecting your whole computer system. And the same thing with lying is it's back there somewhere. And it takes literally effort, believe it or not, to keep it in that closet, to keep it in that corner. It literally takes emotional physical effort to do that we just don't realize it because if we've repressed it so much we don't believe that there's energy doing that and so so coming clean you know when we come clean there's a level of lightedness that comes with that yeah. And i get all the time where people say my god i've been building that in my head for decades it's not as bad as i thought in many cases like man i was living, i was putting that in my head for so long and i should have been honest about this thing long time ago and because we do build it up in our head a lot worse than it is. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it is, it is, I believe that's what I call it. I call it the asset of our inner being and, and those, those things will take you out. So you have to be honest. That means you have to scream that to the world, those one or two things. That means you have to tell every single person on the plane and in a uh, competition. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, like hey, I
0: killed someone. <laughs> okay, go, let's go. Shake hands first. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But, uh, but, but, um, um, but it doesn't mean you have to, but you have to, I believe you have to be honest with at w- least one living person in this world, right? We can be honest with our higher power in God. You can tell your dog and cat and and, and, and you know, be honest, truthful honesty. But in all seriousness, I believe you have to give it to someone in this world because you can get things like validation, affirmation, and feedback whether it be a priest, a pastor, a coach, a friend, a sponsor, or the person the AA, you wronged. Or the person you've wronged, which is, you know, another level of what we call the amends process to make better. It's a really important part of healing. But I believe, because I get a lot of clients like that, like, well, gosh, you know, I I tell my per- I, I go to I, I I I pray to God all the time and I'm honest about that. I said, That's great. And I'm not ever, I think that's huge. But you've got to give it to someone here. There's just something about giving it to s- a, a living person, right? That's very healing because you can get that affirmation, like I said, validation, and actually, s- um, in many ways, feedback. And so that's just that, that's my belief in taking honesty to that next level.
0: That's interesting you say that because um, you touched on how like you know like when I was five years old I was mm-hmm. abused or whatever, and you, you it's r- playing in the background of your mm-hmm. computer. That was a hundred percent me. Mm-hmm. That was hundred percent me till uh, maybe five six months ago, mm-hmm. and it's crazy because I, I there's times where I would actively push it down, mm-hmm. but then you kind of get into this rhythm of holding it down, mm-hmm. where it doesn't feel like you're holding it down. Like it, it's you forget that's what it is. You mm-hmm. forget it. You know, you forget it's there. But you are hold. I am holding it down. Like mm-hmm. there's certain things that might try to make it bubble up, but I'm like, no, 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 yeah. no. Get back in your box. You know, and and I might even put, you know, some weights on top of it to hold it down or try to stay busy. But the crazy thing is that when it comes out, like in my case, like Mm -hmm. I only speak for mine because everyone's unique, like you Mm -hmm. said. You know what daisy chained is when something's daisy chained? Fill me in. Daisy chained is, uh, is like, um, I, I use this, I'm gonna use two analogies just to kind of cover the base. Like, say if you're, you're ghetto, right? This is called daisy chaining, um. I called it, well, it's a slang, not ghetto, it's slang. Like, say if you don't have any, a long enough extension cord to go across for like, to plug in your Christmas yeah, tree, yeah. right? So you, you get a power strip. Oh, got it. And then you plug a power strip into that power strip. Got and then it. you put an extension cord in there. Then got you put it. another, like, you just, it's daisy change. It's actually a fire hazard to do it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but they're all linked. Yeah. So if someone <gasps> turns off one of the power strips, they're all shutting down because yeah. they're all linked. Everything's got linked. Got it. So the traumas, like the the stuff I was holding down they were all daisy chained so when one came out it brought everything out like it brought like the na- like it's like the you know the clown who pulls the handkerchiefs yeah, and yeah. there's like more and more it's more. like it was flying out and um and uh it's crazy because which is gonna lead to my next question to you is that in my case it was coming out it all came out. And I
1: couldn't put it back. Yeah, that. does that happen to everyone? Eventually. Well, that's one of the reasons why people don't want to do it. It's like this this flood, this deluge of emotions. They can't control it, and exactly that's what happened. If you repressed it for so long, and it's these multi layers, and that's where a lot of people are so afraid to open up that box. They're not afraid what's going to come out of it, and if they're going to be able to manage it. So, yeah, absolutely. That and that's one of the biggest obstacles for people getting honest is, is that very reason. And so, um, and that's where, um, whether it be with therapy or something where I, we, we call, sometimes, you know, we call it opening up that valve is every once in a while, right. Every, uh, acknowledging and, and whatever it is. Cause when you have accumulation, it's going to blow sooner or later.
0: Okay. That's my question. Yeah, like it's gonna b- there's, go, there has to be a moment of truth, right? <laughs> like where, where you're like, cause I'm thinking there's no way you could just hold this down your whole life mm-hmm. if you have a lot. There has to come a point where life circumstances, maybe some stressors, maybe a trigger
1: mm-hmm.
0: come, come together. Mm-hmm. It's time. It's time to face the music, man.
1: Well, I do believe for most part we have a max point, a max threshold, right, where you can't do it anymore. Right. In jujitsu. Right. There's a max threshold. I don't have
0: a max threshold in <laughs> jujitsu, by the way, but speak for yourself i'm just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding kidding. kidding.
1: yeah but but like how much you can take right (laughs) when i first started man having some heavy person on me um um is a lot different than I am now, right? Is that yeah. at least I have a threshold of discomfort, right? And But everyone has their max point. I, I believe that. I, I, I literally talk no, about... No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So I'll remember that everyone... Um, 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 when Neiman sees Neiman, me. Professor Neiman, this guy says he has no a threshold, <laughs> especially for uh, leg pain. Just be there when they wake me up. <laughs> but And by the way, that threshold is trained, right? People think... Obviously, my nine-year-old son, Mini Bravo, his... Emotional physical threshold is a lot different than mine and yours. Hopefully, yeah, right. Um, Our threshold is a lot different than someone who's in a special forces like a Navy SEAL or someone. But they weren't literally born like that. I use this analogy all the time: is they've worked and developed that threshold. They literally trained for that threshold, and and so. um, But that blowing up part is, I believe, everyone has their max point uh, sooner or later, and that comes with lying as well. Is is uh, sometimes you know people leave this earth mm-hmm. and never come clean, but many people they reach this stage of life mm-hmm. where um, I believe whether it be spirituality or this crossing roads mm-hmm. where they need to let it go, they need to give it up, you know. And so, um, but yeah, that's what happened. From what mm-hmm. I'm gathering with you is it was just too much. It, yeah,
0: see, lying is one type of pressure, right? That's holding down. Like mm-hmm. I have. <laughs> Like there's there's a there's a lie that I still have. I'm not even gonna. I've I've asked God to forgive me for it, but oh, let me deal with this lie real quick since we're talking about the because mine was a traumas that were held down, and that's a different type of 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 hold. You know, like a different Mm -hmm. type of uh of um. What do you call it? What's the word you resilient? Not resilience. What's the thing you say like tolerance level? Tolerance level? Mm -hmm. Tolerance or threshold? Threshold holding down trauma threshold Mm -hmm. it's for me it's easier to hold down a lie than a than than trauma because trauma was so against your will and so um freaking radioactive Mm -hmm. that's a harder one but like there's a lie that um i'm also say it now i don't care um uh that i was dating a girl for a long time and uh well yeah, I was dating. Not a long time. It was it was like a friends with benefits, mm-hmm. would date, break up. It was a highly dysfunctional high school relationship. And um, it was actually my son's mom, but never married her, right? I cheated on her profusely, but I've always cheated. She has no idea, probably till now, if she listens to this. And I always told myself, I'm just going to take that to the grave. Until now. Til now. <laughs> till now. Until um, now. But... So my reasoning was balance. Yeah, I How do you feel? Actually. You feel lighter. I'm gonna go get on a scale, <laughs> but no, I just thought, what is the benefit of bringing this up? You know, but I, I but maybe that's my way of rationalizing, or maybe it's not that big of a lie, because we never like got married. Right. We were just high school kids, and you know, messing around, doing things we shouldn't have done, and had a kid. Should I say, hey, you know, you know those those mo- the gaps of months between breaking up and getting mm-hmm. back together, I just always had other girls, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, what, what's the benefit, you know? I, was, I don't even know if she would, it's, what's the point, you mm-hmm. know? So that was my rationalization. It it could totally, um, yeah, so that's the thing I was holding back, kind of stuttering. Yeah. See, that's, you can't even see the awkwardness I feel <laughs> even telling yeah. you this, and this happened decades ago, and I'm like, yeah, well, I, I'm stuttering. But the trauma, the, the holding down the trauma one, I don't see, unless you unexpectedly die i don't see how someone could actually hold that down you know because it's the with trauma with the threshold for trauma it's always below the surface Mm -hmm. you know it's there you know it's there and it's weird like you've even trained yourself like with me i even trained myself if there is a trigger there's been triggers throughout my life i'll say there's been triggers like yearly Mm -hmm. on certain things I learned to just shut it down and just move on. Like, Oh, I need to get yeah. outside today. Let me not work. Let me just go Got do it and distract myself until I get it pushed back down. And then finally the day of atonement, my, my psychological Yom Kippur where it just, you're just facing go. it, bro. You're it's, it's coming out. So I, yeah. So going back to lying traumas, holding those down. I think that's a whole nother, a whole nother thing. And I, I, this is a theory based on my own experience. No science behind this. This is just bro science. We'll call it bro science. Yeah. It seemed easier to mm-hmm. deal with the trauma as a kid. Because I could actually be, like there's like, I'll use a real example. I was beaten and like thrown downstairs as a kid.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I went to school like nothing happened. Kay. As an adult, someone would beat me and throw me down some <laughs> stairs. I would be messed up. I'd be like, yeah. a depl- I'd be raging. But I literally just went on like nothing happened. Yeah. And continued on my life. Yeah. So it seemed easier. I don't know if our brains are wired or God put a mechanism in, in our adolescence just to protect us because this is too much to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So we just put it in our pocket. Yeah. Is
1: you, you bring, you bring a lot of, a lot of good points. And let me try to pick it apart. And, um. Number one, when you talk about adults, right, is is there's that max point we're lying. We have a lot of distractions, right? Sometimes the coping mechanism. will work hard, right? People. Back to balance. So let me let me get here. You might have to reel me back in again. But uh, back to achieving balance, is that um, 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 when we when, when when we're in balance, remember we talk about imbalance, and and we I, that that whenever someone's is overcompensating for something or doing something extra. Remember, we always talk about every system I believe moves or living organism made, works towards homeostasis or equilibrium. I believe whenever we are engaging a behavior that is sort of an outlier behavior, like overworking, right? Overgoing to the gym and you know, overdoing something or underdoing something, we're compensating for something, right? Usually, yeah. right? We're, we're compensating. And so, sometimes where people overworking you know they work 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 what are they compensating for that's one of the things where people can repress these memories or these traumas what happens i think later in life is for example when those coping mechanisms aren't there you're not working anymore or you don't have that sport anymore where let's say for example someone's a professional athlete you know a football player and that's their life or someone's an actor or something and that's been a sort of that that, that ability to cope or someone, some levels mask. But when you take that major coping mechanism away from someone, that stuff starts to surface. And I'm wondering if that's what, what, on some level what, what happens to a lot of people is they don't have that go-to coping mechanism anymore. And I think maybe sometimes in life, um, whether it be in their middle age where um, things start to settle a little bit or they don't have the things in place, whether it be kids. Right. For a lot of times, if you're a parent, you know, during their early years, you're busy. You don't have time to slow down. And I see that happen a lot where you have people uh, where there's been a major life change, like they're married and they have a partner and that's not there or they're not working. They're retired or they lose a job or their kids flew off to adult life or college and they don't have those mechanisms. Um, So that's some of the reasons why sometimes these things surface. But you mentioned also a good point of why kids seem to. Um, seem to be resilient and and I do believe we are all resilient to some degree and especially kids but what happens a lot that I see are a lot of these kids fly under the radar it's because we just make this assumption that they're coping well, right? Because now there's a lot of ways where they can cope whether it be school, sports, friends um, social media, gaming and we just say, oh my god, he's doing fine with the divorce or the loss of his uncle because he's laughing and fun and And he's always on gaming and laughing, but that's why a lot of people fly under the radar, right? And kids also, they might not know how to express it. They might not be internalizing it. Maybe they're in denial. And later on, you see that surface later on in life when they don't have gaming anymore or they don't have um, high school sports anymore to distract them from that. But, yes, I do believe we are all resilient. Kids are resilient. But what happens is a lot of times we find ways to cope and that stuff gets pushed in the corner. And when those things aren't readily available to cope, they start to gradually surface sometimes in a big way. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so and that's where I, I, I like to tell parents as, as well is, is like I still hear that all the time. Well, how's uh, I have a client whose uh, uncle passed away suddenly. She's. I think she's fine. I mean, she's 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 out with her friends. She's always, you know, on uh, making videos and so forth. And that's not the case. That she's just doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't want to acknowledge it. She doesn't know how to process her emotions, and she has a coping mechanism readily available. And, and that's what happens. A lot of these kids fly under the radar, and then that those stuff start to surface later on in their adult life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing too that. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing that, and that's that's deep. And I I'm pretty sure what you have to say right now is it's hitting a lot of people it's hitting me uh head on and i remember even the traumas i remember um seeing like growing up i had different caregivers people taking care of me it's a long story um i won't go you know this podcast episode isn't about about my about my life but it's i had to live with different people for different reasons Mm -hmm. and i remember one of my caregivers the people i was living with um he got in an argument. He was he was very violent. He got in an argument with his wife, and he beat her up in front of me. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, he beat her up bad. Where um, he beat her up, and he started jumping on her back, like like how you mm-hmm. jump on a trampoline. Yeah. Like he beat her up, and she's on the ground. He jumping on her back, and I remember I didn't even know what to do. I didn't know how to process that. But as a kid, I just. It, it gave me, like, a crazy um, – you know when you first compete in your – very think of your first jiu-jitsu tournament. With that feeling. And I felt like that probably for months after. And I would go to school to interact with but that thing was sitting in my yeah. stomach. Wow. And I was like – now as, when I know what trauma is, I'm like, I got traumatized by – Seen violence that didn't even occur to me, but mm-hmm. I, I guess the dynamics I was under their roof. This is the, you know, the traditional ha- uh family hierarchy of, you know, the m- head of the household yeah. and the wife, and then see that occur. Yeah, but going back to kids, as a kid, it just sat in my stomach. Mm-hmm. I didn't even if someone had asked me, "Hey, how you doing, Kenny?" I'd be like, "Great." I'd play dodgeball mm-hmm. i whatever, but my stomach was Once. just like holding it. You know, and I, there's a book I've never read it, but someone told me to read a book called the body keeps score. Yep. And I think it deals with stuff like that, right? Yep. Yeah. Cause that thing hit me right in the stomach.
1: Trauma. Yeah. Yeah. The body keeps the score. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how it manifested for you manifesting me, how it shows up and, and it can manifest in other ways, right? That to, um, an IBS, right? Irritable bowel syndrome to anger, right? To anger, to resentment, to avoidance, to self-worth, to, hypersexuality to substance use to jumping from one relationship to the next. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that's how, how it did. And it took a lot of effort as you can imagine that tightness. Oh uh, yeah. It took a lot of effort just to do that. And, and, and always had to go to
0: the bathroom because my stomach was just,
1: well, yeah. IBS, you know, that's, that's a very common characteristic for uh, people with, with things, uh, with, um, issues like that is it's a high level of distress. And so, um, I'm glad you worked through it. I know it d- sounds like you've done so much work for yourself. Oh, I had to, bro. Yeah, you had to. I and, had to. I've,
0: um, you know what EMDR, yeah, you're for yes. EMDR. I did, um, say for the situation mm-hmm. from months ago, I don't know, almost 40 hours. Wow.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: normally, um, normally people, I think they do like 90 minutes of it once a week. Mm-hmm. I was doing four hours every three days. Mm-hmm. It was just that. that was Mm -hmm. i was pretty i was pretty um because everything was daisy-chained and there was a lot it was complex trauma so it was kind of complex trauma yeah Yeah, so it was with ptsd so you know like it's like it's occurring yeah so yeah but no i'm i i'm a million times better because i couldn't talk about things like this Mm -hmm. you know because everything's linked so one thing talk about one Mm -hmm. thing all this other freaking craziness so
1: one thing if I could say, you know, you, like I said, you're, you're the, the the stuff you're sharing, I appreciate you sharing a lot of these things, and and that's um, of course with the podcast and how many how many people you are really helping because what you're doing is you're giving people permission to talk about things like here you are, um, um, strong male, you know, black belt and attractive, uh, very attractive, thank yes, thank Not you. Not the first to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> are you lying again? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <I am. laughs> well, my mom. Your stomach, she cal- your stomach uh, was Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> My pulse just went up. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. I can't wait to see uh, all the people at HQ who are going to watch this podcast. They're going <laughs> to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Have some jokes for you. Yeah, but actually, we have to do a part two of this because we didn't really touch on some of the things that we want to. Yeah. But I wanted it. I we were in such a good um flow of what we're yeah. talking about. We actually went over and because um, I'm looking at your clock ups, your watch upside down. I've been tracking time that way. Oh and yeah yeah yeah. I so, compete
1: in like what three hours.
0: Yeah. So um. Yeah, but I think we're supposed to finish like twenty minutes ago. I think, right? Yeah, eleven thirty.
1: For me, well, we can keep going. Oh, we can um, keep going. Uh, I was—that's what I was very thinking. I didn't. I was gonna bring my gear here just in case, but we can go. Okay. I don't like to get to tournaments. I used to get there like four hours early and do all these <laughs> shenanigans and and watch other people watch I, other people <laughs> and just just psych myself up. And all I found is it's just an adrenaline dump. Yeah, right. I found that out. Um. Last year, I'd get so pumped, so pumped, listen to my music and my headphones and then it's got delayed and there's an adrenaline pump. Mm -hmm. So literally now I just walk out there like I'm literally in class, Um, like a normal class. I treat them just like a uh, 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 like a like a partner, but times 10. In terms, yeah, yeah, in terms of aggressiveness, we treat him as a
0: visitor from a different school. Just kidding, just yeah. kidding. <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, so so I don't mind now. Well, we okay, can, well can I'll leave you,
0: I'll leave you in charge the of tracking time. Yeah, sure, I, sure. I, I've, mm-hmm. I've been watching the clock, and I was like, okay, let me go a few more minutes here. But you're you're dropping some gems, so no, I did not want to. No, no, let's uh, go,
1: and uh, yeah, so let's say because I still have to go back home. Um, to uh, yeah, we, we can go for like like 15, 20 more minutes. All right, sweet. All yeah. right, cool, man. But one thing, I w- if I you don't mind, what I was gonna say is for you and listeners and i see this a lot is no one is ever defined by any event or events in their life you know specifically i mean even good events right you you ride that wave of a good event in your life right we have to evolve in chain you know i always remember um al bundy remember who al bundy was yeah he married with children he used to
0: be at the tournaments, he used to compete in jiu yeah, he's a black
1: belt he's <laughs> tough <laughs> yeah. and um um but uh if you remember his thing is what was his glory right his uh, he was a was it football? Yeah, he was a quarterback football, and there was just one game that his life surrounded, that one game, and that was it, right? And so, but, but even traumatic events, I tell people there's no event or events that's ever your defining moment. It may be a defining moment to a degree, but it doesn't define who you are. It is just one footnote in your life, right? And and I, I like to use a lot of metaphors in the work that I do, um, and, um, well, I'm not going to ask you your age. Um, I'll give, I'll give my age, I'll give my age. 51 years old. And so I'm in chapter fifty one in my life.
0: You look good for 51, bro. Thank you. You look very good. And I, I'm sincerely saying that. Like, like you, you yeah, you look 20 years younger, but I'm pretty sure you get that often. 20 years,
1: 31, really?
0: Yeah, you could pass. Yeah. Definitely. When we go back to the gym, <laughs> let's ask some of these people their ages. You'll be shocked. Cause you know, black and Asian don't crack. And then <laughs> you're fit. I mean, dude, it's... So your, well, yeah. thank
1: you, thank you.
0: Yeah, you'll be surprised that some people that you thought were older, they're not as old as you think they
1: are. Beg- Can yeah. I tell your listeners what, I, what I've what i been engaging in that may be helping that? Yeah, of course. Dude, yeah, listen. this It's, it's, it's no product... No, I'm not dropping product. Yeah, yeah. But bone broth, man. I've been drinking a lot of bone broth and it's known for collagen and stuff. So I've been drinking that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I drink a lot of that. I drink it because I do tele-sessions from home. and That's when I, I drink one cup of that mm. with lemon and honey and i think it's been been helping man
0: oh yeah well i see i take peptides peptides so there you yeah go. yeah i've been doing that for a while so i even noticed my skin's been clearing up like like the um the elasticity is like either coming back or what but like my, no i'm sorry. yeah <laughs> yeah it, it no seems no to that's funny well. no, it's
1: funny uh, that it's, fu- it's, uh, it's uh it's funny how we go from jujitsu <laughs> me going to tournament to. Uh, <laughs> nice <skin. laughs> nice kid <skin. laughs> no but dude you're, yeah you well, thank you yeah thank you. you look
0: very i hope when i'm 51 that i'll i'll look as good as you because some people don't age well and I've like I'm you had to this had to have happened to you you have friends from high school
1: on social media um i am not on social media at the moment but I plan to does your wife no
0: no okay well if you ever go
1: I'm pretty sure the high school
0: you went to has a uh website and then it will have like classes you can actually go and to reconnect, right? I guarantee you, you're gonna look up people and go, "Holy crap,
1: well, what happened to you?" Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If, if I may share, is that um, very proud that my high school is St. John Bosco. If anyone that don't know, we are currently ranked number one in the nation for football. And um, and uh, it says
0: we like you're still a student there, this guy. <laughs> we <laughs> not just kidding. All right, all right, Bundy. <laughs> <Out> <laughs> Bundy. No, Bundy. am just joking. Uh,
1: and so what happened is uh, my good friend. We were planning to watch. They played modern day the other day. St. John Bosco won and um, um great great rivalry and we plan to go to one of the playoff games and so we're thinking about that right and then seeing all these high school people that we've been seeing for a while so it's funny you bring that up is we're already planning to go to a, so presumably they're going to make a playoff game in the cif and so you know my brother and my best friend and you uh, know and his brother we plan to all coordinate and go to one of these football games which was uh, i graduated 1990 and so um so it's going to be good to see a lot of, of, of people. But uh, but thank you for that um, as well. And yeah, so. well,
0: when you go well, – no, do the social media route too, please. Yes. I, I recommend doing it. I know you're coming out with a book, so I would recommend doing that yes. because the people who show up to the game is probably a small percentage and those are people who want to be seen, you know, personally or whatever. Yeah. But when you go to um, social media, it's – it's surprising man like some of them are tra- i mean not to go uh dark here but some of it is, is tragic you're like you're like man this person was the foot the quarterback i th- or the most mm-hmm. likely to succeed and it's just it's a mess like one time have you been to your high school reunions
1: no i plan to i have
0: not look at you man you're just big time in southern california huh just big well, time i just, went to
1: my eighth sh- grade reunion back in ohio <sighs>
0: Okay. Yeah. Well there yeah. Yeah. It was actually,
1: was actually on the kid. You not. It was in a barn. Back. It was in a barn. We had it in a barn. They made the barn look nice, and it was awesome.
0: My buddy got married in a barn, and it looked amazing. Yeah. It was very scenic and a, and yeah. very nice. Um, but I remember my high school reunion. because um, my my school was in the hood, so, you know, you're you're, <laughs> to me, I wanted to see what happened the aftermath, right? Mm-hmm. So most of the guys didn't show up, right? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah one of them is actually in witness protection and he contacted oh, wow. me he's out of state <laughs> he contacted you kind of
1: witness protection if he's contacting you or...
0: exactly no no he's breaking he's breaking oh, the yeah, witness yeah, he protection but he's out of state yeah. um, i don't even know where he lives Yeah. but he's he's just out of state he um he got arrested for like major drug trafficking wow. and then told on everybody
1: yeah i would so. not be telling a single soul
0: yeah. No. Yeah. No. I mean, he got two told people, then he's gone. No. Everyone in there. Everyone knows he did it. You know. I, mean, I you, know, but you, waiting
1: it s- out to you and he's a witness for what he did. And
0: well, everyone knows because he didn't go to jail anymore. He he just oh, disappeared. Okay, good, he's not in it. prison. Oh, everyone okay, else okay. is in oh, prison. Oh Yeah. It. Everyone knows that he did it. <coughs> and so, it. but at the reunion, and this was this was the ten year reunion, not the twenty. This is the mm-hmm. ten. We had we were talking and like, um, I had people in my class. Like one girl, she was getting out of prostitution like wow. she was a streetwalker and we paid like some people who's courting go, man they don't even have enough money to come to the reunion it's like you know 80 dollars or whatever so a few of us pitched in you know kind of helped yeah. them out and i remember one of the girls like it just made me this i don't know what this just this is just stuck in my head we had like tri-tip you know sir whatever. one of the ladies took like a few bites of it she's one that kind of lived on the streets not as a ex like walker. Mm-hmm. And then she put it in a napkin and put it in her purse. Oh. The try tip And she was just saving it, like just bagging it. And I just looked. And there's, there's a girl named Renee. Um, <laughs> There's a girl named Renee who's in my, who I went to school with. Renee is someone who makes fun of everyone yeah. and has no... Filter? Well, she has a filter. She knows when not to say it, but nothing's off limits.
1: Okay, got it. You
0: know what I'm saying? And But Renee herself she's a mess herself yeah and so that makes it funnier because she makes fun of other people and renee gave me the look like oh we're gonna talk about this later <laughs> and uh, but yeah so they d- it's just amazing not i mean i'm telling you i'm saying that to say this is that when you when you connect with some of the people but you went to a good school so i'm pretty sure that most of them are successful someone like me like if you went to a school in the hood dude it was it's like people were surprised that i went to college You know, which none of us were on track to do. I think there's a handful of us that went to college. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing was there was one guy who actually became a big time. I can't remember his name right now. I didn't hang out with him. But you know, like someone on campus, you you would talk to them. He's like a big time Hollywood movie producer. Highly successful. So he came. Wow. But I think there wasn't a lot of success outside of that. You know, everyone. I mean, not the success. Success is they're functioning adults. They have families. Some of them work for the city. But no one, you know, the percentages were definitely lower. You know, so I just kind of went down a rabbit hole on that. I don't know. <laughs> no, but it's
1: it's an important be. chapter of our life, man. And uh, going back there, and it was uh, trauma
0: fest, though. It's it's yeah. trauma fest. Um, I'm, that's a bet. We'll call it trauma palooza. Like all the, <laughs> all, I'm pretty sure now, in retrospect, looking at my life, though my my t- classmates, knowing the way we grew up, there's a lot of damaged people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I mean, we didn't have normal fights. We had yeah. fights in school, like like, true story. Like my friend. And I'm telling this because I have friends now who listen to this, so they'll know what I'm talking about. So I'll give some details for them though. My friend who's in witness protection, his girlfriend at the time, she had been in jail so much at Juvenile Hall. The way she fought was juvenile hall style. So she's supposed to fight some girl out on campus, right? Mm -hmm. You know, at certain time during the day. Like when I see her, you know, on site, blah, blah, blah. You know how she started the fight? She she peed in a cup in the bathroom and threw the cut piss on the girl you know what they do in jail yeah yeah do the piss on the girl and then beat her up and (laughs) that's how ghetto it was in my school dude that's hardcore yeah yeah so people remember that and then one other thing too i'm just throwing this out some of my friends who are listening just talking about the horrible or just the hood life a friend of mine he got his his name i can't say his name my (laughs) friend my friend um we'll call him larry my friend larry he cheated on his girlfriend, but. He was a he was a kind of a quasi gang member because you can dress like a gang member, be with gangs, but you don't you never get jumped in. But they're just you guys grew up together, yeah. So that's that's your friends. So he's like a quasi gang member. Sometimes he do some dirt with him, sometimes he wouldn't. His girlfriend gang member, so they're dating. He cheated on her, so she's like, "Oh, we're gonna have to fight." And we thought we were laughing, like, "Don't fight your girlfriend," because I'm not, man. You know, like we're laughing. He goes, "Dude, I'm not gonna hit no hit a woman," you know, (coughs) blah blah blah. She's like, after school, after school. And they we both had to walk to this part called um, um Patriots Park, which is uh, right behind our school. A lot of people have to walk through the park to get to wherever yeah. to get home. And uh she was there at the basketball court waiting for him, dude. Wow. And she's like, let's go. What's up, N-Word? What's up, N-Word? You know, and in the hood, no one knows how to fight. So, you know, you have your hands. You, you, do, yeah. you, do
1: people put their hands like this when you're in school? Like weird. Yeah, yeah. The 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 the, the haymaker. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. She's like, "What's up, N word? What's up, N word?" And we're laughing, and <laughs> is laughing. We're just yeah. dying, right? Uh-uh. She cracks him. She cracks right in the face. He's like, "Oh, he's bleeding!" Wow. So they get into a full-on fight. She beats him up. Did I just say his name? You did. <laughs> I gotta you believe did. that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I gotta believe that. He went from Larry to somebody else. <laughs> oh, crap
0: i gotta bleep that um yeah but she beat him up and i know this is sad to say i mean this is because this is obviously not a good thing this is violence but back then that's probably one of the funniest days of my life (laughs) like we were on the ground watching (laughs) laughing so hard watching him get beat up by his girlfriend I can't believe I said his name. I gotta believe I gotta bleep that. Sorry. But going back going back to, to what we're talking about, I got off there. Wow. Um what makes children m- like I believe that children are, are more are like just super vulnerable to yeah. uh you know, uh traumas or just mm-hmm. um just like I mean, I mean, they're just vulnerable, period. Yeah. Why are they more vulnerable?
1: Well, kind of what we mentioned earlier is they're just impressionable. If you When we're talking about kids, right, uh, whether it be young kids, the teens, um, when I call them as very in, um, imprinting takes place, is that you got to think about what they're going through at that stage of life. Their stage of life issues. Kids are going through that identity development where they're trying to understand them, themselves, who they are, They are vulnerable to things like peer pressure, right? Expectations, right? That's why like peer pressure is really um, pretty prominent in that stage because they're they're trying to grasp and who they are, self acceptance, right? Or social acceptance is critically important. Um, An image that you present is really huge. Um, They're not very resourceful, right? There's there's uh, meaning that um, they could be exploited pretty easily to some degree i'm talking about just in general why they're so vulnerable to some of these things and traumas um, um and they just don't have life experience they don't have they haven't developed certain life knowledge um certain level of resilience there's fearfulness and so forth so that there's a major difference between them mm. and an adult and but they are they are they have naivety right and people sometimes can can take advantage of it and and, and, and uh um dysfunctional unhealthy way but i just think just them being of age right and and a lot of the attributes that they haven't developed yet life experience is is i believe why they're exceptionally vulnerable and like i said earlier is sometimes they can fly under the radar as we just presume that they're resilient just because they're not expressing and when we don't realize they might not have the ability to express or have the terms or they don't have the means to express themselves and then you mix that in with family dynamics where it's not okay to be a certain way, express a certain way, it can all become this perfect storm. But um, um, So yeah, I mean, yeah, they are what we call, they're, they can be very vulnerable. And, um, um, and so that's why it's really important to for parents, like I said earlier, is to acknowledge them and talk to them. We don't do that often as much anymore, to sit down and understand their world one of the things that I like to talk about is you're wearing glasses is for me to truly grasp your world. You talk about in your words, the ghetto life and the traumas to really for me to truly empathize. I need to understand your world from your worldview. And then if you want to understand my world, right, you use my lens and try to really understand my world from my worldview. There's a difference between compassion, and empathy, compassion is your dog died. I'm real, really sad for you. Empathy is wow. Your dog died. My dog died some years ago. I can really understand and grasp what you're going through. So it's literally what we say: putting yourself in their shoes. I like to use the glass lens, is to really grasp and acknowledge and look and understand someone's view from uh, their worldview, from their perspective. And so, so we don't do that a lot with with parents and with kids. Is is there's there's always these generational divides, and we sit down and really talk to them and listen to what they're telling us is really important because there's a lot of nuances there under the radar and kids don't most kids don't talk right my 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 15 year old she's very different than my nine-year-old and she's not open to talking as much doesn't mean that she's not having any challenges or struggles Mm -hmm. it just means that my language my approach has to change has to be different then with my 9-year-old n- my 9-year-old will tell you and ask you anything i don't know if you ever seen him running around HQ. He will oh yeah
0: he walks up to me all the time <laughs> and calls <laughs> me uh,
1: almost that a wrestler's name again bobby lashley
2: <laughs> he goes bobby lashley no
1: <laughs> so just side note uh, my little son we uh, i used to really be into wwe and then i got busy with school and stuff and 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 then so i we got integrated into it, and so every Monday Friday we're watching Monday Night Raw to Friday Night SmackDown in the special <laughs> events WrestleMania. We went to WrestleMania, <laughs> we went to Monday Night Raw recently in Ontario, California, and um, but the first time he saw you, he says, "Dad, is that Bobby Lashley?" <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of celebrities, by the way. Yes, <laughs> we have Andre Galvao um, look alike, <laughs> truly Andre Galvao look alike. Um. um there's a, there's a lot, in, but I want to say this earlier, uh, Professor Eddie Bravo, please, I, I'm not in any way um, impersonating <laughs> or emulating you. Uh, if you lucked, looked at my flexibility, you would definitely know I am not Eddie Bravo. Uh, but anyhow, but um, but yeah, my son. So, but he's very expressive. Yeah, He's yeah. very expressive. He'll tell you um, what's going on. I mean, he's nine, but he, but, but he but seems
0: like he has the, the personality of like, he likes to have fun and laugh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: I get stressed. The other day, he was f- running around. I had to literally leave a guard rotation because he was literally running around with this his other teammate in and out of the locker room. And I find out, he showed me, they were making videos of of pranking each other and going all around. And I literally had to stop guard rotation and go down and, and tell him. And so, um, but he's expressive emotionally. But he's, and my daughter literally, was down there, as you remember, you met my daughter. <laughs> she was literally down there on her iPad, very quiet, had no idea, there could be a fire burning, and she's there, and my son's literally running around, circles around her um, downstairs, and just different in expression. Yeah. And my point being is 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 you would assume that maybe my daughter, oh, she's fine, look at her, or my son's fine, but we have to recognize that we take sometimes take things at face value, and we have to um, um, really understand someone's story and that's i think one of the biggest mistakes we just make these assumptions uh based on f- face value of what we see and yeah but but i believe in my in the work that i do i don't care who you are mm-hmm. how successful you are what socioeconomic status you are um where you come from as a family you lift up the hood meaning the inside there's something going on there there's something that's or some things that they struggle with whether it be self-worth, whether it be body image, whether it be um, sense of belongingness, self-acceptance, emptiness, loneliness, if you just talk to them and we make too many assumptions about people. And and that's one of the things, if I may share, you and I are are the same, is I'm talking a lot. Like at HQ, I love sitting down, right? Um, And at tournaments, right? I know I was talking to someone and, and man, some of my good friends right now are competitors from different schools. And you'd be amazed of some of these people's stories. Yeah. And like at HQ, I'm sitting there listening to stories where sometimes I literally have to be called off, um, off the bench to, say <laughs> hey, spar, and, and so forth. But I love hearing people's stories, and I think that's just a natural inclination. But as you know, and that's why you're, what you're doing as well, is there's a lot of to people's narrative and stories. And, yeah. and if we get to know people, give get past that first base of communication, people have a lot to offer and a lot to share. doesn't matter who you are you have some impact in this world. Their job is to find it.
0: Yeah, and one thing, too, about kids (laughs) is that, like, my last uh, two years of teaching, I taught in East L.A. at a very, very low-income school. And um, it's actually the first school I taught at where I've worked with at-risk kids before. Mm -hmm. These kids aren't necessarily at risk. They're just poor, Mm -hmm. like, in the hood. And it's the first school I taught at where there's literally homeless people just laying like you yeah. was like they're laying against the fence you know the school fence yeah. like just sleep or whatever yeah. the kids are just stepping over them coming to school like that type of environment and besides it uh triggering me a lot by being around these kids that are um suffering you know um because i could i relate you know i could feel that you know i see things i recognize it you know and so um like i remember there was one time there was a girl that was at the sc- uh, school I was at, and she was... You know you know, school lunches? Have you ever seen a school lunch? Yeah. It's horrible. Well, I don't know how yeah. it is. Oh, at least it in Los Angeles, is horrible. Yeah. I don't know how it is in Orange County. But it's the same company that makes prison food mm-hmm. you know, that that's mm-hmm. contracted out there. And so it's... it's, Like, even the staff, when I started there, I can't say the name of the school mm-hmm. because I don't want to get in trouble. They told me, don't eat the lunch, you'll get sick. You'll get a yeah. stomachache. And so, but these kids are eating it. And I remember one time... Um, I was helping a teacher cover her class and this is after lunch and this this kid this skinny girl had saved her uh, mm. half her food to take home for dinner uh. and she was telling me oh yeah this is so good and this part and she was telling me how great it is and stuff mm. dude I'm like I almost started crying watching her yeah. do that and it triggered me and I was driving home and I called my friend I have a really good friend and I I talk to him all the time about my whole life he's like he's family to me Got it. and so I'm like hey man I'm really struggling here <laughs> at my job, too. I just started. This is when I first started. Yeah, I, this yeah. kid just said this stuff. And at this point, I'd already, you know, I secret like, no one knows this, but I would buy kids shoes or clothes because I see they're coming yeah. in shoes that are, don't fit them. Yeah, You know, they're, just, they're poor. And the thing is, they're a lot of them are illegal. Their parents are illegal. So their parents can't get on public assistance. And some of them live in cars with their parents. And they don't want to separate. The school counselors won't report them because if you separate them, their mental health declines end up like in a foster home. Their parents get sent to Mexico or a detainment center. So what they do is just leave them alone. Got it. So that triggered me so much that I went and bought a refrigerator and I put it wow. in my classroom. Oh wow! And then every week, sometimes twice a week, I would go to Costco, and I'm pretty sure the kids would pop because they they listen to this podcast. Yeah. They invite me now. Oh and they, really? yeah, they they follow the podcast, and I put I would put food in there and I put a microwave too, and I said. Have whatever you want. And they're like, we take for granted how good a Costco. You ever have a muffin from Costco? Yeah. Like, But it's a muffin, right? Yeah, but it's, it's a good muffin. To them?
1: That's the world.
0: Oh, my God. They're like, where'd you get this? Like, they're blown away. Are you talking about the big ones? The big ones. The big ones. The big ones. The the big ones. Big ones. Yeah.
1: Those are good. Yeah. good.
0: The blueberry. Yeah. like, uh, But I'd have it in there. Take what you want. I had wow. food, the croissants from Costco. Everything's Costco, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then I got to the point where I enjoyed. Like I'm be walking through Costco. Oh, they're gonna like this. They're gonna like. And, this. and then I start goldfish
1: and oh yeah, <laughs> the goldfish and all this stuff. Man.
0: And um, but going. Th- my point is that I went to a school like that, and yeah. I and I could see it in them. Like they didn't even have to tell me what they're going through or what some of them are going through. Because in a school like that too, you have um kids that actually have very solid. Uh, mm-hmm. families good um mom and dad are in the house mm-hmm. they're home eat dinner together whatever but a lot of them know yeah and um it's i could see that in them and it, i mean i could see that in the kid and i could recognize that yeah. and um and it's from it's sadly it's from my own traumas or from yeah. my own experience yeah. where i could see a kid that's broken or they're going through a lot they don't even have to tell me anything mm-hmm. and i even know like there's been times where I'll pull the kid aside, like, hey, do you need help? And they're like, no, no, man, no, I don't need any help. Yeah, what's up? And I'm like, no, no, seriously, no one's gonna know. Once they trust me and yeah. they know that no one's gonna know, can I have some pants? Yeah. I only have, and you're like, yeah, yeah, dude, blah, blah, And so I'll get in, tr- I didn't wanna get in trouble from, it's weird these rules schools have. So what I do is I would order from Amazon, have it delivered to their school counselor at the school <laughs> site, and then it, the counselor would give it to them. Yeah, cause first I was giving them stuff, and it's crazy too because kids, um, kids from uh, other classes that aren't even my students. They would hear and they'd come mm. and ask me for food, okay. and I'd give them food or I'd give them whatever clothes, uh, clothes and and then it got to the point there was even kids from high schools that weren't at my high school. They would ditch and because their friend they'd be friend and they would come they would ditch and come on campus to meet me to eat. And maybe they needed help with something. Yeah, That's how, but that's, the and it was. Like, let me, I'm going to go on a rant here for just for a second. And that's the thing that kind of gets me is that that's in America, mm-hmm. that's in California. I think one of the richest states mm-hmm. it, in, it, the, it is the richest state in the United States, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. And our economy is bigger than most countries, just the state of California, mm-hmm. the kind of money. And it just, it, it, it sits wrong with me because these kids suffer daily through this stuff, yeah. you know, and i mean it's their life like we look at it and we go oh man that's horrible it's more than horrible it's real like people need to realize Mm -hmm. that there's children right now even as i speak right now that are just living like that they go home like when i was when i was going through it the worst i had the only time i ate was my school lunch i'd Mm -hmm. go home there's no dinner there's no nothing you know i don't eat on the weekends you know and summertime I'm trying to hang out with my f- whoever's mm-hmm. friend's mom's had food, and there's kids living like that. Like that, it's it's real, and I hope that people realize that that it's it's um, just don't like like how we look at numbers. Like oh, like right now, um, Israel and and Hamas are at war, and we're like oh yeah, um, five hundred people died, and we just go on a day. Man, that's a lot. No, those are real people. Mm-hmm. The, you know that that's someone's dad, someone's son. Some of those are babies. You know, so when we are looking at taking that here to the United States, there's, I would easy, I Los Angeles Unified School District, I think, is the second largest or the largest school district in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It needs to be actually chopped down. But it's huge. Tons of those kids are poor. You got kids in Beverly Hills. For some reason, they get the good lunches. The kids in the poor areas, yeah. like, I have kids, because my school was a, um, it was a special type of school. I, I don't want to say too much about it because people know what school it is and I don't want to put anybody on blast. but the kids from my school were from the city of Compton this place called um Cudahy have you heard of the city of Cudahy Cudahy no yeah it's in LA it's a it's it's a small city surrounded by cities called Cudahy i think it has one street signal in oh, it oh wow um, watts okay you know um, and just the surrounding the surrounding areas yeah. you know and so there it just, it just, we don't have money for that. We ask for money. Oh, we don't have money for schooling. The teachers are underpaid. Actually working at Los Angeles Unified School District was the lowest paid teaching uh-huh. position I've ever had in my life. It was literally half, 50% of what I got paid working in a different school district. And working there, we don't have money. The government, federal government doesn't have money. But we have billions to send to Ukraine, you know, uh-huh. to even to rebuild Ukraine after they're being attacked to help build, to feed them. And it's like, you don't have a million dollars to help these children and i'm just sharing that and i don't mean to go off on a political round i'm not trying to take political sides it's just it's children that that need help you yeah. know and and it affects them because i think even someone said this and i haven't cons- i i use this term sometimes i don't know if i fully believe it, it it's factually accurate but they, some people say that um poverty is violence have you ever heard that term before poverty is a form of violence. I don't know, because those two words, I've never put them together, and mm-hmm. I don't know how that works, but I can tell you that poverty causes trauma. I know mm-hmm. that. And so, these kids, on top of the rough life that they live, they're be just being daily traumatized by the fact that just being hungry is yeah. traumatizing, dude. I mean, there's there's restaurants on the way home. Mm-hmm. They can't eat there. Yeah. They don't have money. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's just something to think about, and I'm yeah. just sharing, and w- when, when people... Uh, when you, I just want people to, th- to, th- to consider that when you have excess money or whatever, or just maybe donate it to the school. Mm-hmm. Donate to the kids. And yeah. don't just give it to the school. Like, give it to the principal. Be, what you should do is say, this money or these resources, like if you own a store and you have excess stuff, say, I'd like to give it to the underprivileged kids or I'd like to feed the kids with this or mm-hmm. this money, whatever. Usually they have some type of program. It's, it's usually underfunded. No one cares about it. They usually care about the football team, or the cheer, mm-hmm. you know, because out of the football teams at the hood, the best, yeah, right. But the other, there's so many kids suffering there on the yeah. campus. So yeah. I just wanted to share that, and I could connect with that. Like you're saying, yeah. the kids don't talk. If you're someone like me who's been from that environment, they don't have to talk. I could walk in, I could walk into a classroom, mm-hmm. and I could tell who's been abused. I could tell, I could tell by the body language, and it's not that they're covering their body. There's just a, there's a insecurity to them, like mm-hmm. they're um their body language, yeah. you know, or even talking to them. And and even some of the kids that don't have a father in the household, I could tell yeah. because I become the dad. Yeah, I'm still, like, I haven't taught for in two years. I have the kids still contact me on social media. They have father-son questions, Wow, you know. And I'm like, look, I've, I got to the point, here's, here's my number, just call me. Yeah. And I talked to them on the phone. I talked to one last week, and mm-hmm. he's telling me, like, I'm going to drop out of high school. I said, don't. He goes, well, we don't have any money. I need to work full time. I said, don't drop out. You need this high school diploma to, um, to uh, you know, finish your, I mean, to get a better job. Mm-hmm. You're thinking short term. But there is another option for them, not a GED. There's actually an equivalency test. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, there's an equivalency. I said, maybe go that route. Talk to your academic advisor as long as it's not look frowned upon when you try to move up. But it's that bad where a kid is debating stopping his education to feed his family, yeah. you know, his yeah. siblings. So, yeah.
1: Well, if there's anything I can highlight, there is is again what you say is 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 especially with kids, right? They're going to tell you first level answer, "I'm fine," right? But when you really ask them, just like what you did, is you really said, "Hey, tell me what's really going on." That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need to capture because there's a lot more to someone, especially a kid, because for various reasons why they're not saying anything. They're ashamed, they're not supposed to, they're scared, building rapport and trust is really important. And so that's what I'm asking for people to do, especially with um, those younger populations is sometimes just asking them. They're not gonna tell you right off bat. And they might not tell you right then and there, but what you're doing is what I call planting seeds, little seeds. What you did is you planted a seed in that person if they didn't speak that, hey, this person is is really cares about me um, over that. It's because you gotta realize lot of them don't have trusting issues they may not have figures in their life parental figures or they've had abandonment or relationships that have lost and so they're in protective mode and you see that a lot when i when i mentioned earlier that i worked with severely emotionally abused adolescents right they'll push you and push you and push you because they want to really see is this person really in it for me is this person going to leave because that's the narrative that they're used to yeah and i've heard you know they, they would refer to the staff members racially they will they will do things heinous stuff right pour water in your face or just say really really offensive things is because what they're really trying to do is they're trying to test is this person for real yeah and 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 I've seen that happen before and, and another thing that you're doing um, which is great and thank you for by the way for you doing that but what I say is you're planting these very powerful seeds and for them and not just for them um, but for maybe people they may affect right is is that uh, that 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 you reassure, reassure them that there is still goodness that we can still trust in people that people do care about them they have worth and so by planting those very powerful seeds you might be one of the change factors for them where whether not going to decide or not um, to be nice to someone or to be kind or not to someone and say hey there's kindness out there there are people who do care and i do matter there and that's what you essentially speaking for the kids is what you are communicating to them is that you do matter and um, and you never know they may play pay that forward in in some respects and so those are that's one thing with kids too is they have strong memories right i remember things that um, there's a saying people won't remember you know what you told them but they'll remember how you made them feel and that's really important there's some things that I remember as early childhood, um, good or maybe not so good stuff. And those are hopefully some of the things that you did for them is planting these very powerful seeds for them and give them some glimmer of hope that just because I'm in this family doesn't mean that this is my life trajectory. Is that you show them that there's other options and, 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 and ways to view the world in front of them. So,
0: Yeah, I, you know what? It's a trust thing I've noticed is that once they trust you, um, they're open. They're open about mm-hmm. everything, and sometimes a little too open. Like, mm-hmm. cause it sometimes they'll say, like, I've had children tell me stuff, make me cry. Yeah, it's so bad, mm-hmm. you know. And um, like sometimes I wish, I wish I didn't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I wish I didn't know that. Um, but the um, I've noticed the thing that put the barrier down is when I was open to about them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, open about myself. Yes. I'm like, like um. We do like an icebreaker at the beginning Mm -hmm. of every uh, semester so all the kids get to know each other. No one says anything. My favorite color is blue. My favorite movie is this. No one really gets in the deep stuff. But then I usually have these talks with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and so at least once a week. And uh, at one of the talks at some point, it's usually at the beginning of of each semester, I just open up and tell them, hey, man, I grew up in uh, rough. I around gangs. I've seen a lot of violence. I've seen drugs. I've seen it all. And this, and I just kind of tell them, and they could tell because even the way I'm saying it, yeah. the things I've seen, and next thing you know, they open up. Yeah. They go, "This guy, he's he's not, he's not from um, South Orange County, and he just happened to get a job here, mm-hmm. and he's exactly. going to transfer out eventually, but doesn't care about exactly. us." And uh, actually, I felt bad leaving, man. Like when mm-hmm. I left, um, just w- just share one other thing. Uh, when I left, uh, the kids were crying, mm-hmm. and but I had. It, i couldn't it was unsustainable to work yeah. there in financially yeah. i just couldn't mm-hmm. and um i remember they were crying like like weeping dude like it was so bad and i've left mm-hmm. schools before i've never had it that bad mm-hmm. before and it was just tugging at me and um i remember like the kids school was out i like i said let me get let them leave off campus i'm just going to stay in my classroom because i don't want to walk around yeah cuz it's going to get worse and i remember I uh waited to like maybe an hour and kids are gone. Mm-hmm. I go I went into the office, got thanks to everybody, you know, you know, just close mm-hmm. out turn in my keys, blah blah blah. Um one of the kids was still there. Mm-hmm. And she saw me. She started crying again oh, and hugged wow. me and I was like, "Oh, and I, man, it was just it's it's so rough and it just made me realize like that's how much it's not I'm not trying to say this is a reflection of me like I'm the the Messiah, but that's how much in need they are. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's reflection of how much they're, they're lacking because they're only around me. Most of them one hour a day in a class. Mm-hmm. And then they'll spend their lunch mm-hmm. in their class. They'll, yeah. they'll hang out in my classroom, but that's it. Yeah. And they are so desperate for that attention, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, which it's, we
1: call unmet needs a lot of them. And so, and yeah, well, if anything, I know it's very, very, um, Tough emotionally to have left them, but just recognize the the impact that you had um, on them at that period of life. You know, there's a saying. Um, um, TD Jakes said sometimes people come into your reason or just for a season, right? And yeah. you know, it's, it's, they're not meant to be. And I learned that in college when you have a study partner and your study partners, and all of a sudden you don't talk anymore for whatever reason, or a friendship that didn't last, or a romantic relationship. But there's sometimes people or events or situations come into your life for a reason or for a season and you came into life for that season. And so, um, it's not so much what you, when you left and what was, they no longer had, but what you provided for them. And so that's what I think is really important for us to recognize our impact. And we, we can have impact. We just don't realize it in a small way. Impact. We think we have to do grand things, but literally acknowledging someone like, Hey, how are you doing? How was your weekend? That's it. Could make a difference for someone who was maybe, Thinking about ending their life, yeah. To 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 you know, just acknowledging someone it, it, uh, or a stranger in a um, in, in a grocery store, just opening a door for them that couldn't mean the difference is because you've acknowledged their presence. Yeah. And so there's a lot of impact we have, and that's what I encourage a lot of people to do. We have eight billion people in the world. I believe we have one eighth billionth responsibility to be our <laughs> best version to have an impact. So that's a good yeah. Hey, y- Kenny. I know. I'm starting to think about my match now. Okay. So yeah. I no. It's actually, all good. my first match is a friend of mine. Uh, we <sighs> met. We became friends. And there you go again. I'm no. No. No.
0: No. <laughs> Tell him when we're on the mat, we are not friends. Well, <laughs> no. I
1: li- no no. I literally <laughs> said this. My last tournament, the Master Worlds. Great friend of mine, <clears throat> Alan. If you're listening out there, um, trains at HQ from Australia. His daughter won gold. He won gold. All submissions last year as a blue belt. And we trained together. We've been friends. And we found out. He was my, I had a bye, and he was my second match. And we were, like, upset. We learned at HQ, like, on the Thursday or, or Tuesday of that week, and we were upset because we thought from same school we have been opposite brackets, and we are talking about, okay, if we win, we'll meet each other, fine. But we met because um, there was, like, four people from our school, and so you had to put them together um, um, so there's not four people from the same school on the podium. And so we went, but right before the match, right, we hugged, and I told them, I said, hey, I said, hey, Alan, five minutes let's pretend we're not friends right he looked at me kind of weird and he said i said let's fight hard and so we did and we went at it we went we went at it and uh it was awesome and then we hugged afterwards um mm-hmm. we literally hugged there's a picture his friend was a photographer and took pictures of literally us hugging and laughing um but um but that's the great thing about what yeah. we do In that is you can have the closest friends and then the culture of it is you we know what it takes to get on there but when you're done it's it's turned off. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, my buddy, um, we've fought before. And uh, so, um, um, so we're meeting again. So I'll tell him to wait up for me. Don't, <laughs> don't DQ me if I'm late.
0: <laughs> well, one thing, too, before you go, yeah. and I got to bring you back. Do you mind coming Absolutely. back? I don't mean to put I you would, on the spot, I would dude. love to come. Okay. Cause we didn't even really we touched on what maybe we not meant on to.
1: a tournament day anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all good. Yeah.
0: But you've, you've shared some very important information. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, uh, people are going to want to know how to find you. Okay. You have a website. Can you tell people how to find you sure, online and sure. your my, social media
1: handles? Sure, sure. Um, my um, website is uh, all one word, no dash, no underscores. It's, and I'll spell it, it's drbrianlaquanin.com. So Dr. D-R-B-R-I-A-N is in Nancy. L I C as in cat, U A N as in Nancy, A N as in Nancy. and so yeah, you can find me there. Um, a little bit about me and kind of the service I provide, and 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 you know the book that's um, coming out um, probably hopefully in two thousand twenty four. So um, um, tells a little bit about that as well. So um, yeah, feel free to to visit me there and so forth.
0: All right, cool. All right, thank you for sharing. Thank you for coming out. Thank you. Good luck today.
1: Thank you. Get hopefully that. Hopefully yeah. when I come back, I'll I'll have some good news for you. Cool. Cool. Sounds good. And I won't lie about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Deal. Deal. <laughs> All right, man. Well thank you for thank your time. You. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye. You
1: too. Bye.